Hello and welcome to episode 116 of The Game Pit. I'm Sean, here's Ronan and we've got a special guest. It's yes, me! Ronan first. <laughs> oh, who, where? Who was it's that? me! It's me, Dan! Dan Hughes of the Dice Tower! <laughs> Mate, we can claim to be from the Dice Tower. We've really devalued that badge somewhat. I, I, I'm the Dice Tower's Dan Hughes. YouTube's, <laughs> YouTube's Dan Hughes from the Dice Tower, that's me. Your Cora's glorified bodyguard. Yeah, you know I'm, 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 the, I'm the least least popular half of Dan and Cora. That's who I am. That's, <laughs> yes. Less than that. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, Marvellous. Yeah. A bit startled by your sudden appearance from inside Sean. Yeah, well, I, 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 I don't hold with any of this kind of etiquette thing. I, I, I think as soon as we get me talking on a podcast, that's, that's, the, that's the ideal state of being, isn't it? So... Uh, so get get me on as quick as possible and, and just concentrate on me as much as possible. That's my tip for a successful podcast. Well, there you go. So nah, I'm not talking now, Sean. No, that's we're it. we're all moving to Huddersfield <laughs> and Dan's just going to talk. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, excellent. <laughs> well, I thought we'd pulled off something of a coup in getting Dan Hughes on the show, Sean, because we talked about this a couple of months ago. And lo and behold, in the previous three weeks, not only has he appeared on guest in a We're Not Wizards, he's also started his own podcast. I'm all, I'm like, all over the place. All to, over the schedule. To be fair, Ronan, um, we did try and get Matthew Jude first, but he said no. Yeah. He was he's too cool. Far too cool yeah. when swept and interesting. Matthew Jude Cooper, I think oh, we'll find. Cool. Yeah, correct. That's his, that's his last name. He's just started editing the, uh, the, the Bold Games Insider podcast as well, so, so unless you're... Big wigs in the industry is not interested in you. We are Stephen Bonacore's favourite people. We're, we're not sure why, but he says really he, he says I'm his favourite people as well. Sure. So oh, I think don't, there's, some, don't, there's some double dealing going on here, Ronan. Don't trust anything Stephen Bonacore says. <laughs> is all I say. He's like the P.T. Barnum of board games, really. <laughs> and that's being polite. Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you calling Stronghold a circus? I don't, I don't know what I'm calling. I'm, I'm, yes, I am. I am. That that little crossover there has got me onto something I need to ask Dan about. By the way, circuses and uh, and sporadically bored. I've got yes. a question for you about your last episode. Oh, my, my last episode of my new podcast, sporadically bored with Dan and Mike. Yeah, that episode. Sporadically bored again, quick. Yeah, sporadically bored, as in board game, because you know I'm pretty clever with names. Cirque du Soleil. It's better than waterboard. What? God, sorry. What? Cirque du Soleil. Yes. Did I hear right that your mother-in-law took you to a Cirque du Soleil show with an incest theme? Everyone's accusing me of this. It wasn't incest. It was insects. I listened back to this podcast this morning in order to in order to make sure that I, I was I, I was right. No, I said very clearly insects. Insects. I'm not sure you did. I, th- I thought you were keeping it in the family. <laughs> Look, you haven't met my mother-in-law, and and if you had, you'd know how how mean that that comment was. Um, <laughs> I might be sticking with it. Mm. Huddersfield, the deliverance country of the UK. <laughs> well, it's not deliverance if it's your mother-in-law, well, is yeah, it? Okay. Let's face it. <laughs> In fact, that's, that's, not, that's not even incest, technically. <laughs> so your comment was fine. Yeah, what's then, your then? wife's thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's ethical, but it's not incest. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> It's it's a fine line to straddle, amongst other things that <laughs> it we've is. straddled. And this is a direction I didn't think I'd be going in, to be honest. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got any notes prepared on this topic. No. <laughs> I'm sure you can give a speech on it. My yeah. second question is, why do you hate Root? I don't hate Root, I hate hype. <laughs> I hate hype with a passion. And, and when things get hyped to a point, 
where everyone is talking about it, I my stubbornness kicks in and I say, well, no, I refuse to play it. So so that's why I hate Root. Um, I've not played it. I, I'm aware. I was just sort of wondering what you hated it so much. <laughs> and uh, your hate of hype leads us nicely into the theme for today's show. Hyping, hyping stuff. <laughs> well, too. So we're going to split into two halves. The first half is going to be pretty much normal fare, where we're going to do six games in a picking over the bones style review session. And then, Ronan, we're going to be doing some Essen top tens. Essen hyperspace, I'm calling it in my own head after this. Hyperspace. This, I must tell you guys, and I've mentioned it before we recorded, this is the most work I've ever done for nearly anything I've done in my life. I think I've done more revision for this podcast than I did for my GCSEs. Um, <laughs> it's it'll been be inc- the lowest output. To <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm still going to get an E because I haven't, I, 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 you know, I was waking up with, with dreams last night where, where I haven't prepared properly and you asked me about, I don't know, <laughs> you asked me about the new Uze Rosenberg thing and I haven't, re- I haven't researched that one. It's, it's been very traumatic. How are you guys what doing? What do you think on about a... the third round problem in Reichelt, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it got to the stage. I think it got to the stage when we just start stopped berating ourselves for putting so much work into something that we were terrible at, and we just went with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> just accept it. Yeah. That's what my wife says. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet, your mother-in-law. Oh, says. oh no, no. Hey. This is Take not good. My mother, I don't, I don't know what this. <laughs> I don't know where this has come from, but I'm not happy. I'm not happy about this direction at all. Was that a Dan Hughes' impression, Sean? It was a good it was. one, actually. It was a, it was a northern stand-up comedian impression. Yeah, Les, a Les Dennis. Something maybe. like that, yeah. Was he... No, not Les. Les Dawson, that's the one. Les Dennis was a... Ooh, Mavis. I'd yes. be a... No, that wasn't Les Dennis. That was Les Dennis doing Mavis. Mavis. It was. He, he's yeah, right, yeah, his he's most right, famous impression, right. I think you'll find. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. His, his most famous impression was Mavis off Coronation yeah. Street. You were very Thank right, you. Sean. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Sean, Dan, do you know why Sean's mentioned Les Dennis? So that I'll mention Russ Abbott and he can start singing. Oh, what oh, an atmosphere. Like I love a party with <laughs> a happy atmosphere. Very good. Very good. And that, uh, th- this is really, really relevant for all you American listeners. So I'm, I'm glad you're all enjoying it. <laughs> Well, there's about seven of them. Oh, right. Okay. Too much. Well, we used to have a tight focus, just concentrate on the game's podcast, then we let Dan in. Yeah, I'm all over all over the schedules, I tell you. I tell you. You should listen to my new podcast, Sporadically Bored, with uh, Mike and Dan. Yeah, you, you'll get this more of the same. Got, Sporadically it's Bored. It's going to sound really weird when I edit out every time you mention it. <laughs> just roughly, you should listen to The Game Pit. <laughs> well, you should listen to the game. I've, 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 I've sung your praises many times. You're one of my favourites. Oh, that's why I'm so excited to be here. That's touching, but that's too excited. Yeah. Right. Okay. Should we move on to the game reviews? Yes, let's do that. Beautiful. And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. You can download the episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, we do have our YouTube channel with our pit stop videos. Okay, so we're going to do our reviews now. And Dan, you're first up with a game you've been playing lately. I have been playing lately. It's a game called Zango by uh, by Marco Cantella and Stefano Nicolai. 
Two two guys from Sheffield, no doubt. It's a watch your game. That was beautiful. <laughs> I don't know. You look. I, I'm not good at pronunciation. It's a watch your game game. It's published in night 2014. Uh, two to four players and it takes 60 to 120 minutes. So that's lovely. Um, and it's an area control kind of hand management game where you're unifying China and, and helping build the Great Wall. And you're basically going to be playing cards into a tableau, or you can play cards into a kind of central area, and that triggers cards in your tableau. And when you're triggering cards in your tableau, it's got a numerical value, and if it's over the last one that was played, then it does extra stuff. It's a, it's a complicated kind of lots of wheels, cogs, lots of slidey things, and, and you have to do this to do that, and all that kind of stuff, in order to get your, your little dudes on the board, and then and then hopefully you win, which I did. Uh, I nearly lapped the person I was playing with, which was very good. when I was playing. So yeah, Zango, it's, it's, it's one of kind of watch your games heavier... Um, well, they're all heavy, aren't they? They watch your games stuff like Nippon and, and Madeira and things like that. It's really nice and chunky and, and lots of thinking to do with it and, and good crunch to it. Yes. Yeah, I've, I have played this one. I had to check with Ronan because it was, it was a long time ago. We played, I played, remember playing two or three times sort of back to back. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I vaguely remember there being like an optimal strategy because I remember enjoying the gameplay with lots of things to do that were all interesting, a really interesting and fun game, but something's reminding me that not all of them were as profitable and there was a way to go. It's a bit of a point salad type thing, but there's there's some big chunks of meat in that salad and that's what you want to do basically and and, and the, re- the rest of it is is yeah i think you're probably talking about there's a there's a kind of track up the side which if you get in this spot this spot and this spot you get multipliers and points upon points and things like that and the same is true in nippon as well which is a, another watch your game thing yeah. where where there are lots of ways to score points but you need to do this um, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but it probably needs pointing out when you're when you're learning the rules. You know, this is where the main game is, and you can get extra points here. I think that's probably how you should explain it. So what you're saying, once everybody's on board with that main sort of strategy, the the game is actually going to be decided by the lesser scoring. Well, yes, or the, who gets to the main strategy first, because that that strategy, which I think you're talking about, you, there's first, second, and third prizes basically. So it's it's about getting to the same goals as, the, as your opponent. So I don't think it's a problem, but it's not a pure point salad game. It's a, it's a, there is a dominant strategy, but you're competing to do that dominant strategy. So I, I think You all kind of end up generally having done the same thing. You've all added a little bit to the wall. You've all got a general here or there, a couple of palaces built, and I think that's why the multiplier is so important. Yeah, yeah. Generally, your tableau looks fairly similar towards the end. It's kind of balanced off like that. I liked it a lot. We did review it quite a long time ago, so probably... I don't imagine anyone remembers that. But the the only thing is, I never got excited, Dan. I was never really like, oh yeah, it's like one. There was nothing m- memorable from any game. I couldn't go. Oh, do you remember that game when Dan he crossed his legs halfway through? It's really that's about as interesting or memorable as it got. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, I enjoy it. I've only played it a couple of times. Both times, I really, really quite enjoyed it. I think mainly because of you've got to kind of read the other person because. Because you can do extra things if your card is a numerically higher card than the one they've put down, or or numerically lower, depending on what you want to do, um, which action you want to take. And and so you've got to read what they might be doing, and, and you've got to adapt your strategy. So there's no luck in it, but the luck is from the, the randomness is from the other players, and I, I like that in a game as well. 
I like the kind of bluffing bit in that bit as well because the cards have three different colour backs on them. And so I can't remember the other like orange is number one to 40 and cream is 41 to 80 or whatever. Yeah. So if you can see someone, they've only got oranges left in their hand, you're like, mm, I've got you. You've only got lower numbers. Oh. There is that little bit of bluffing going as well. And I, I, I'm going to take it. Did you play it two player? I did play it two player, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's much more in the two player game that way. You've got to read your opponent you know, either or off. I think when we played more players, it was a lot more adapting to what was going on the board because the board was a lot tighter it does adjust a little bit in the space available but four player was much tighter I, I'm sounding like I didn't like it I really liked it I rated it an 8 out of 10 on BGG I'd happily play it again it just wasn't one that made the like I've just culled my collection down and I didn't keep it just because it didn't have that little tiny little cherry on top yeah no I can, I can see that I can see that it's interesting because it got very cheap recently as well it's, it's not a game that made a big impact at all I mean it, it kind of sunk I would say I think I think I got mine for 15 pounds new it, it yeah. was cheap it was I cheap I think they're really they're really unfortunate because for a couple of their SM releases they sold out completely on the first printing and then by the time they got to reprint them mm. the hype train had moved on yeah. the much and They've kind of slightly misjudged the market here and there with that. But they're doing okay. I know they've moved to Portugal, haven't they, from Germany? Yeah. yeah. They're rocking on. It's not like they're in trouble. But I think there's there's some of their games you can get cheap because of that. They sold If they sold 5,000 in the first wave, they then made 10,000. Yeah. Instead of going, oh, we'll probably sell slightly less next time around. So maybe they had some lessons to learn there. But it's a good game. I like uh, it. For sure, yeah. I've been very tempted myself to actually pick it up for the, the cheap price point at the moment. And it, it's kind of one of those that's always on the sort of periphery of a shell I buy or shall I not and it's certainly a, a very good game and I'm a very big fan of the publisher apart from Loot Island <laughs> <laughs> well that and the, okay, that the railways one that wasn't good either was it the, um... oh I like the railway one don't start well it's rubbish so that's Ra- Railroad <laughs> Revolution I think we're talking about when I they fixed that. it it was good when they fixed it oh, right, then they gave well, you the, the adjusted it, track it's, well it's they, it shouldn't be shouldn't need to be fixed Agreed. We're not we're not in the computer games. We don't get patches. Uh, put out a good product in the first place. Oh, there's a patchy Ooh. game coming up in my top ten, by the way. Oh well. Oh, we'll get to that. There's a little tease. Yeah. Sean, Sean, Yo. take us sailing with you. <laughs> you can see, you can hear the excitement in Ronan's <laughs> in Ronan's voice there. So my game, my first game. Is going to be Islebound. It's a 2016 release from Red Raven Games, designed, of, of course, by Mr. Ryan Laucat, playing two to four players. And it's basically, we have a ship, and we're in a, a mystical archipelago. And our goal is to basically make our stamp on the islands. On the table, you've got a modular board, and this represents the archipelago. And each island has a power to use and a cost to enter, plus a cost to rule. You have your own player boards, which are ships, and you're going to put crew on them, and you've got basic quests to do, tasks to do. You can have diplomatic influence in this game. The, the crew, as, as I mentioned, are going to help you attack the islands as well as sea serpents, and there's all sorts of resources and buildings that are going to give you ongoing bonuses and victory points. On a round, you're going to sail around the islands, and you're going to gather the resources, earn money, buy crew and sea monsters, capture the islands either by force or by allying to them diplomatically and you're going to construct the buildings that are going to give you the points at the end you're also going to complete quests and jobs the game ends when one player amasses a set number of buildings depending on the player count now i've always said on the show i'm a big big fan of 
Brian Laucat and Red Raven Games. Love the artwork. That's what draws me in. But he can be a little bit hit and miss. I've, n- mm-hmm. I've not liked everything he's done. Where did this one fall for you, Ronan? Flat like a lump of lead. Let's put the caveat in here first. You were the most grumpy curmudgeon that I've ever seen when we played. I've been grumpier. No, very rarely. Very rarely. I've been grumpier. It's all right. Don't worry. I'm getting grumpier. You making me talk about this game? I was tired. I admitted that I had one hour sleep after a night shift. (laughs) But this was so dull, Sean. It was just every action is a chore. Oh, I'll go here and I'll click that and then I'll go and click that. And then I'll come here and the things I just collected will give me some points. Mm. And I know that you can explain a lot of games like that, but this had no subtlety to it. It had no excitement. It was just... Even the icons weren't intuitive. You make it sound interesting, like you've got your own shipboard and you put things on there, but... You put a tile and then you use that tile and it goes down to the bottom half and then you haven't used it and it comes up to the top half again. And that's literally all you're doing with your crew. And they like give you a little bonus here and there. Like You don't block other players with your ships. They just have to move one of their crew down. And then it's all right, they'll go to another island and they'll all come up again. Yeah, you know what? You're, this... you're really annoying when you're wrong, but you're even more annoying when you're right. <laughs> when am I not annoying? <laughs> never, never. Yeah, I... I agree, Ronan. It, it was very slow to get going. And I, what I just found is it was very clunky. There was no flow to the game. You didn't really care what the other players were doing in case, and unless they were go, went to an island that you were going to, or, but you'd still be able they to took, get through that. Or they took the game-winning building on the same turn you were about to do it. That was funny. That was less funny for me. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you find that's the same with a lot of his games? I, I find him a very old-mouth-and-no-trousers designer. To be honest, uh, near and far, I thought. That- in fairness, if you're all mouth, no trousers, Sean is immediately attracted to you. <laughs> Explain the whole Red thing. I found that very much with, with near and far. I, I, I felt that the, the game wasn't good enough. And just because he can do good art, and just because someone's reading out a Grimm's fairy tale to you at the same time, doesn't make it a, 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 a good gaming experience, in my view. I agree, but not with the actual game you're talking about. But I do agree that. He, he tends to design very similar games and he uses the same mechanisms like attacking like combat in all of his games tends to be really really similar and while I don't agree with Near and Fire I actually think that's a little bit better I didn't like Above and Below and a couple of his other, other games just didn't hit the mark for me but again when he gets it right like The Ancient World I think that's a great game Is there anything other than The Ancient World that you'd say oh yeah oh <laughs> Empires of the Void. Yeah, you're right. That is good. Yeah, yeah Empires yeah. of the Void two. I thought that was a very good game, and as I said, near and far. Uh, I, I like near and far as well. But above and below was way, way a big, big miss for me. As is Isleban. Uh, above and below was a shot across my bowels, but Isleban was the reef on which I was dashed <laughs> and torn to shreds and left for the eels. It but was just. It was one of those games. I was reading the rules and I was thinking, actually, this sounds really interesting. You do this, to do that, and you can do this, and it sounds like there's loads of options. But when it boils down to it it was all very pedestrian it stank it was like old mulchy I, I didn't hate it that much I, I, I didn't wasn't banging my head off the table like you were getting grumpy I literally banged my head off the table then literally <laughs> grumping at people I just wanted it to end and it wasn't very long so, someone was... took literally an extra 45 seconds for the last go uh, and then I had to get in the same bed as her that night you think I got away scot-free with that that's a that's a <laughs> That's a strange end game condition, that one. 
I've not come across that one it's before. That's what you got for coming second. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not playing that with my friend Mike. <laughs> Is it Mike with the skateboard? <laughs> no, that's Rob with the skateboard. Rob's got the skateboard. <laughs> oh, it's Mike the Pillock Paul. Yeah, Mike the Pillock. I have been listening to your podcast. Yeah, yeah it's, very good. it's very good. It's a very good podcast. Much better than this one. No, yeah, well, not hard, though. Not hard. No. For the first 115 episodes, it was all right. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> the next game we're going to look at is Petrocore. One to four player, 60 minute game from Ape and Mighty Boards, designed by David Chirkop and David Tuxi. In Petrocore, each of the players is playing as a type of rain. And that old chestnut. Wh- whatever you are. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> How many more games do we need when you're playing clouds? That's what I want to know. You're not even the clouds. You're like the, the puppet master of the clouds. The puppet master cloud. Oh, exactly. Boring. Oh, the same old, Cloud-tip. same old. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, either, whatever you are in this game, you're trying to load up clouds with your own drops of water. Oh, yeah. And those clouds are going to travel across a grid of different crops and you're trying to drop your water into the different crops and they come in different varieties and score in different ways and the way you're going to do that is in each turn you're going to play a card out of your hand and it's going to be a type of weather of sun, frost, wind or rain and in doing that you'll move them around you'll drop the rain sometimes you can even move the rain around when it's on the crops when there's a certain total of rain drops onto a crop it develops and becomes available to harvest when you play a card you either have to vote for a type of weather to happen, which sounds a bit odd, but there you go. Or you have to, um, there are harvest dice that get rolled and you, you move them on towards the harvest and score a point for doing that. Once everyone's done with their actions on a round, we check which two weathers have got the most votes and they are going to trigger. And when those weathers trigger, they're going to score points for the two players who have voted most often for them. The majority's on there. They'll grab a, an endgame VP track, a voting track. And then the weathers will trigger... And clouds will become like thunder clouds, which will make them more likely to rain. You can get more water drops forming in the clouds if ever there's over a certain number. They're just going to rain down and spill all over the board everywhere. The sun can come out and it will make coffee develop, but while it's raining, rice will develop, and that will adjust how much, how many points they score during the round. And then, which is windy, you get to move some drops around on the board and try and attack each other with your, with your water. <laughs> <laughs> if there is a harvest when the harvest dice have been emptied or oh, it always happens at the end of the game you check each of the crops that has developed from enough water and there's different ways in which they score some of them are going to score most points for being most on there some will score most points for being second on there some will just be flat rate scoring if you're on there at all other ones will give you tokens and there's majority scoring in those tokens at the end of the game there's all sorts of simple ways they score but they all do it in interesting and different ways you play for four or six rounds depending on how wet you feel at the time and whoever's got the most points at the end of that is going to win the game of petrichor so this tired old thing (laughs) zombies cthulhu and rain clouds that's what i'm fed up of (laughs) That, that got no less dirty as you were going on there, by the way, Ronan. Yeah, intentionally, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> How moist are you right now? See, I said I heard it was about rain. I was like, okay, it's about rain, and then it's not—you're not really the cloud, even. You're—you're you're, like I said, the puppet master of the rain. It, it, I like the theme. The game looks really nice. It all makes sense in a way, in that oh, there's water and the crops will develop, and but. I don't know who I am. I don't feel very centred when I'm playing Petricor. Sounds like Marv Legendary. You're not sure who you are. There's this thing going on and you're controlling them, but you're not one of the superheroes. So who are you? Dan, Dan, you've made a terrible faux pas bringing that game up in front of Sean. <laughs> don't. 
Oh dear. Go on, Sean, tell us all about it. Someone decided, given that I hadn't played it for maybe four years, someone decided it would be really, really good to pick the most difficult scenario he could find. No, I did a randomizer app. I hadn't the played most the most difficult before. scenario he could find. So basically, it was a zombie version where everything just popped back to life as soon as, soon as you killed it. So yeah, and in the end, I was like, you know what? And, I'm not playing this well, anymore. That, I'm was, going to that was the mastermind and the villains. They came back to life, but then the actual scheme was a fountain of youth, which also made things come back to life. <laughs> so you couldn't win. You couldn't kill things. <laughs> well, if that's the worst that has ever happened to you, Sean, then then I think I think you're all right. Two, two right. hours of literally doing nothing. We didn't play for two hours. <laughs> two hours. <laughs> Three days of doing nothing. <laughs> I just said, you know what, I'm going to bed. <laughs> anyway, Petricor, Dan. Sorry about yeah, that. It's fine. It's fine. Um, Petricor, I've not played it. It looks lovely. Um, the box itself looks lovely. I would really like to play it, but I haven't. It sounds sounds pretty good to me. I, I really like the fact people are going for themes that are off the wall and things like that. I, I really, really appreciate that. Treating gaming as a... More, more serious than people just wanting to play with, with elves and dwarves and stuff like that. So I'm all for the theme. I'd love to play it, but nothing you've said has dissuaded me. The abstract sort of theme and this this theme that is going on, I think it did actually make sense, Ronan. And you, you played it, right? I did, I did. I played it with yourself yeah, and Rachel. Did, yeah. And yeah, yeah it, made, it made sense as you were playing it. Now, I kind of liked the game, but it just didn't it didn't excite me and the reason it didn't excite me is i felt certainly in the games that we played that i was able to be boring and turtle up and to play the percentages and not really stretch myself and still win the game maybe that's the way that you guys were playing maybe you weren't attacking me as much or or trying to sort of second guess me as much i don't know but i felt like there wasn't really that in the game i felt like you you could go off on your own path do your own thing well, I actually, I'm not sure it is going off on your own path. It's that you have to follow the crowd, and you have to follow the crowd in the voting, and you have to follow the crowd where the water is. Yeah, but the vote so is never stop... really toed and froed because of that. He's like, okay, so it's going that way. All right, fair enough. I'll go that way. So you just join in. Yes, it's completely opposite of what you said. Going your own down your own path. All right, <laughs> so but we you know, you know what I mean. But you, you follow that. You you choose the path that you're going down, and nobody challenges that because they're all going down the same path as you. Like no one cuts across you and says, "Right, you're going to rethink that, pal." That's what I meant. Yeah, but not all games have to be like that. It's no, they a don't. But Euro experience. There is a little bit of take that you can kind of move things around a bit yeah. and a it, little. It, it, it was one of those, right? And it, it was fine. I would play it again. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't run down the street trying to catch someone with it in the, under their arm, sort of thing. Would you run down the street to to catch that dog that's chasing Dan? <laughs> <laughs> it's not my dog. It's not my dog. Don't blame that for me. No, I wouldn't have thought so. You're, I'd have thought your dog wouldn't be chasing you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Pedgecore was nicely balanced. I think that the theme kind of matches in with the fact that your water, you must flow together and find ways to, to end up being on top. You can't have, it's not clashy, it's not fighty, it's not get out of my land, it's come on this land with me, but have slightly less scoring on this land than I have. That's very zen, very zen. I do not want to mix with your water, Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> this is the man who makes me post in my bath water. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I think there's some thought in the scoring options. There's there's variety in there. You mix it around a bit. Look, 
is it going to change the world? No. Is it a very nicely produced game which you can present? And something like Dan said there, I was nodding my head to. I, I keep finding myself nodding when I'm listening to Dan talk about games. It's terrible. Because I'm right all the time. Mm, <laughs> you know, Mike. <laughs> but when I want to present this game, there are certain people I don't want to say. And by the way, you're now Forlanthal, the second moon queen of Glorium Pass. Yeah. I want to say. Oh, this I want to play about, that. You know, when do we play? <laughs> yeah, I know you. I've do. seen your top I've seen ten. Yeah. I've seen your number ten yeah. person. Gene. Man. You know what? I chucked that number ten in just because there was nothing like that on my top ten. I took something <laughs> off to put that in. <laughs> More foreshadowing. Anyway, I think it's an all-round good package, and I recommend Petrichor if you like a gentle Euro. We can do your own thing, mix a bit with each other, and there's not too much to take back. Can I just say one thing uh, quickly? I absolutely love the box cover. I think yeah, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And actually, I, I thought looking at component photos, I'm not very good at looking at photos. It's a weird thing not to be good at. But I can't really judge things very well. <laughs> No, I don't like. I look at photos and I look at it and I go, oh, "Do you see the dog in it?" And I'll be like, "No, what dog?" And there's what points. Oh yeah, there's a dog in that. I don't know. My eyes don't work very well. Anyway, on the table, I actually think it was quite attractive. It was, it was a nice. Yeah, it was more aesthetic than I thought. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm wibbling. Dan, you've got something very, very similar to a, a light no take that Euro coming up. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have. It's uh, Kill Team uh, by Games. Kill Team. Kill Team. By Games Workshop, um, this is published uh, in 2018. Two to four players, although most people will play it two, but yeah, I've played it with three. It takes between 30 and 60 minutes. That's a lie. Um, that is a lie. Um, but it takes a bit longer <laughs> than that, but, but but not too long. This is the kind of evolution of, of Warhammer 40k, uh, the big tabletop battle game. But in this one, you're concentrating on one unit, so you only got like between kind of six and 20 models on the table and each one's its own personality and you can play campaigns where they all develop and you know gain skills and you call them names and and things like that it's not really a board game but i thought i'd cram it in because it comes in a box and there's a board in it it's it's basically the rules of, of 40k you're rolling dice you're measuring how far things are away you're shooting poo -poo 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 -poo. you've got the little space marines you you're moving around it's really. The kill team doesn't shoot like that, by the way. But what, sorry? Kill team's like. Duka, 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 duka. Well, kill team. Depends. Yeah. Depends if you if you're my kill team and you're fighting against the gene stealers, you find yourself going poo poo poo, -poo and then getting <laughs> savaged and ripped apart. Um, <laughs> it's Death Angel the minis guy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's designed, I think, for people like me, a, a, a forty year old man who 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 longs for the days of. of when he used to spend all afternoon playing Warhammer with his with his friends when he was eighteen, and now has about a period of about half an hour to ninety minutes, and not enough space to you know I haven't got the energy to put into a big war game. But this is all the feelings that big war game, but in a much smaller, less expensive package. It's really good. It's really good. So yeah, I was just going to ask a couple of questions because I. I've not really played that that much miniature games. Yeah. Um, so you kind of you kind of touched on it already. So I was going to ask you: Does it really convey that feeling of a full-on Warhammer forty k skirmish, big battle? Do you really get all of that crammed into this little box? No, no, you don't. But that that's a good thing because the full-on Warhammer forty k battle takes a long, long time, and the turns are half an hour each. This one is much more streamlined and you're not getting that big epic kind of we're watching a battle going on here but what you are getting is a kind of really cool kind of we're watching a tactical strike squad 
going in and, and fighting and things like that. So, so the thing I like about games like this is 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 there's a narrative there, much more so than board games. You, you know, this guy is going to come here and go prepare, 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 and and you're much you're much more likely to go prepare, prepare, prepare than you are in a in say um, I don't know key flower because you see the story evolve and and because you're moving the guys around without any limits other than how far you can move and stuff it just feels more it feels more flowing to me than a board game i don't i don't want narrative in my board games i like i like narrative in my war games and my rpgs and so it's it's like watching an action film really it's cool it's good i really recommend it and just uh, touch on you i know you like to paint do a little bit of I do, painting etc i've seen some of your work very good i really like your stuff fables miniatures they're awesome and yeah what are these like to build and paint see oh they're marvelous Roland are rubbish there's there's no there's no better miniature company than Games Workshop, bar none. And then this allows you to, if you fancy having some Space Marines, but you don't want to spend, you know, eight hundred pounds on a Space Marine army, you can spend twenty quid on a little box of Space Marines and use them in your kill team. I mean, that's what it's designed for, really. It's a, it's a sampler. I'm sure some people will go on to forty k. But they're really supporting this really well, and you can get little boxes for 25 quid of all the models that you might need for, well, most of the models you need for, for a kill team. There are, there's a kind of tournament rules and stuff where you have, but there's also the rules where you just bring what you want to the table and, you know, fight. And yeah, you might be at a bit of a disadvantage, but it doesn't matter. You know, they're not, they're not saying you have to have this many stuff. The miniatures are really, really nice to paint. They're really, really nice to build. I mean, and that's part of the hobby as well, isn't it? That's half, yeah. the, half the thing. Very good. And lastly, you did mention that uh, you can play at three players. Uh, would you recommend it at three players, or is it strictly two players for you? No, no, no. Three players, four players is fine. The only problem with that is you've got to be aware of that age-old problem is if there's three players, one person's probably going to get ganged up on more than the other two. So you need to be mature enough to handle that, I'm guessing. it's, it's no one in this podcast, then? No one in this podcast, no, because I am... <laughs> I am very good at sulking when I lose games like this. Um, <laughs> very good at sulking. I, I once nearly won a game of Dominant Species because I was sulking so badly that no one dared do anything unpleasant to me. That's the only way I ever win Dominant Species. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a joke. I came second just because everyone thought, oh man, if we do anything unpleasant to him, he's going to probably hit us. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> also, threats of physical violence yeah. very much in my playbook. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a background in 40k. A, a little bit, uh, a little bit, yeah. Games Workshop are lovely, mm-hmm. and we don't really know why, but they are. But they send us a lot of stuff, as you know. I they do. send us their games, yeah. And we have a look at them, and I try to make them. I'm not, I'm not very good. Okay, anyway, for for Kill Team, I, I read through the book. It's like a 200 page book. I know a lot of it is sort of customization rules and scenario rules and things like that. It's quite off-putting yeah. for someone like me who, as, as a stepping-in point, could, even though it's supposed to be squad level and fewer minis and what have you, the rules and, and all, everything that came with it, and even putting them together, I, I put together Blitz Bowl and I cut myself four times <laughs> doing it on <laughs> the spikes on the armour. Anyway. You are an imbecile. Cu- yeah, I was going to say. No, no, I'm terrible. They, 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 can't, they can't help imbecility, can they, really? It's, it's not their, that's <laughs> no, not their no, fault. Honestly. That's your fault. Let's face it. <laughs> I, I mean, genuinely, not like... Oh, I scratched myself and I'm going to call it a cut. I have blood coming out of my fingers. <laughs> That's just not very good. Anyway, what I'm trying to get to is the whole customization bit of there that I was getting in there. Because the idea is you can put different arms on there and they've got different weapons and therefore that changes their stats and then they can level up. Is only experienced gamers going to get the most out of the game is my question. I, th- I think this is probably the most accessible Games Workshop product. I, th- I think it is a jump for, for board gamers 
I'm going to throw Shade Spire. Your yeah, but that's carry that's on. a board game, in my okay, view. That, that's not that's not this kind of game. There's no there's no tape measures. There's no line of sight. There's none of that in in mm-hmm. Shade Spire, which is great as well. I would argue that's a board game. Teeters on the edge of, but it's got much more in common with. Um, with board gaming than it has miniatures gaming in my, in my opinion so this this is a proper minis tape measures line of sight getting down at the table to see if that man can shoot that man all that kind of stuff I'd, I'd, I'd say it's accessible I'd say depending on who you're playing with it doesn't matter if that guy is actually holding the right weapon because as long as you put a little number on his base and say that number two is holding that weapon who cares but, but some people can be a bit weird about it it is accessible but there is a barrier there is a barrier there, but if you ever tempt, if you're tempted at all, then Kill Team is the way to go because it, it really is, and, and you get all the terrain in the box as well. So and, and you get the, yeah, and you, get so. the, you get the board in the box as well. So there's everything you need there. Once you bought that, you don't need to buy anything else. You will do because it's Games Workshop and they're very good at extracting money from you. But you don't need to buy anything more than the, the base game. The, the copy of Kill Team they sent us. I passed it on to another guy who's going to teach me. So I will come back with opinions of the kill team, but I ain't going to play it with him. But I passed it to you. Oh, thanks. Oh, amazing. Yeah, thanks a lot. Three days later, he came back. He bought every single kill team product. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that cost me hundreds of pounds by giving you a game. What? That's what they do. <laughs> I can see why. Uh, yeah, when you see the products, you look at them, and I get them out, and I had Necromunda, I got that out. I was going, go, this looks amazing. And I read the rule book on that one and the whole story of the hives and all that, which I didn't know anything about. And I was like, this looks really interesting. And then I just, I couldn't. It was too much effort. I was too busy bloody filming videos. Well, what, the, the thing I was going to suggest is watching a video of someone like Guerrilla Games or someone like that playing through a game and, and, and being narrative with it, and that can get you okay. that can get you into it, if you see what I mean, because you see what they're doing and you understand. Because there's lots of dice rolling and all that kind of stuff. You know. This feels a bit like uh, something out of the wire here where you're trying to tempt me in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just do it, man. Just do it. It's easy, yeah. man. Just take the first step, man. It's cool. yeah. it's oh, no. free. You, you'll spend a lot of money on Games Workshop stuff if you get into it, um, and it's, oh, it's possibly not a good idea to do so. <laughs> Uh, I'm I in the Shades by stuff. We we I've played Nightfall as well. Right. Uh, and yeah, I am I in more more Shades by. It's lovely. Anyway, it's lovely. We need to crack on, Sean. You have another fighty game, but very much more a board game in which minis are racking. So yes, I'm going to talk about Space Freaks, the 2017 release from Lotta Pellet Fi and Stronghold Games, designed by Max Wickstrom and Carter Yantunen, and playing two to four players. So the story is a. Uh, we're welcoming you to the most destructive show in the galaxy, where a bunch of combatants are going to kill, blow up and generally maim for the enjoyment of the viewing public. On the table, you have an arena board uh, where it has fifth different zones in it. You've got your home zone where your teams start. And you've got a build zone where you're going to build things that are going to help you defend yourself or attack the other team. You've got a neutral zone. And then you've got a landing zone that's going to score your points in the centre. You have a team of three freaks, and these are going to be designed by you. You're going to place a head, arms, torso, and legs onto the board, and these are going to define your movement, your firepower, your range, defence, any special powers, etc. There are also cards on the table. You have the Master of the Game cards, and these are going to basically change each round as it goes by. You have Sponsor cards that you're going to get to give you super powerful one-off moves and Mission cards. The game itself is over six rounds, and the first thing you do is reveal the, the Game Master card, and then you are going to play one of those Mission cards, so everyone has a vague idea of what you're going to be trying to do that round. 
You're going to activate any turrets you've placed in your building zone and they're going to shoot the opposition. And then you're going to activate your freaks, your three freaks. Now these guys are going to move, they're going to shoot and they're going to try and earn points. You can play one of those sponsor cards that I mentioned before. And as I said, they're going to give you one-off powers. They're going to can heal you. They're going to bring aliens and droids into the game under your control, etc. Then you get a chance to build some more turrets and bunkers. Bunkers, basically, you're going to go in and hide. And you're going to score your points for missions. You're going to gain more sponsor cards. Now, as I said, the points are for missions, but you can also score points for getting into that central landing zone, killing the other freaks, getting to and attacking the other home areas and bases. And the person who's done the most destruction at the end of six rounds is going to be the winner of Space Freaks. It's very good. You're very good at that, you know. You're much better than me. That was very impressive. <laughs> this is why you, you do proper for? podcasts. It's very good. <laughs> Ronan. For me, Space Freaks is, needs to make its mind up what it is. Because it kind of, I guess for me, maybe I, it's because I like drafting, but the bit I concentrated on when I heard about it was the drafting at the beginning to build up your own freak and it's quite subtle the differences so you're choosing between should I have a, a range of 7 or a range of 8 or should, I, should my movement be two or, two or 3 higher or should I have some more shields so you do that and you create your, your alien and I put some thought into it I tried to make sort of like a, a fairly quick snipey kind of a, an alien that could, that could take you out from distance then you get on the board and it's just wide open there's a few rocks here and there they don't make any difference not when a rock can block you from one hex but not the other, but your movement is six or seven or eight or nine, and you can shoot as you're moving, you move two, shoot, move three more, it's just completely wide open. And then the scoring cards vary so wildly that that also opens up the game completely. And you can score for being next to people or being far away or going into a certain type of building or somewhere else. And I built my snipers and I kept drawing cards that get me points for being next to people. And I'm like, that doesn't fit what I'm doing. Then... The Arena Master cards just turn things completely upside down. So for one of the rounds we had, all of your weapons that you'd carefully drafted were cancelled and everyone just had a, I think it was a five damage, infinite range repulsor beam. If you hit anything, it flew through them across the map as far as they go till they hit something solid. And you're like, this is mental. Like all the planning I've been doing, if you, if you, because you could draft to have like a, a melee sort of a, an alien. Imagine that arena card comes out and you just go, boom, 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 boom. So you've been sniping these dudes for the last three rounds. They finally get close enough to you to score loads of points. And then, woohoo, arena card, woo, boom, party poppers, let's just do something mental. So it makes that drafting sort of irrelevant, Sean. The drafting, and also I found that. It was neither fish nor fowl in terms of what the board size and what it was supposed to do. So you've got things like adrenaline. Yeah, they're a bit of a slap vest, but they're also quite tactical because you can go into different rooms and you and, and what have you. I wasn't a big fan of adrenaline, but I felt it done this a little bit better. But this one was kind of it was kind of too wide open to be an all out slugfest, but too close in to be tactical. So it didn't get either one of those feelings for me. I've I've not played it, but looking at it, and then going back to the previous game, I don't know why you'd play this over Shadespire. This looks like it's the same kind of game, but done a lot worse. Uh, I, am I wrong? I don't know. I think they've tried to make it sort of crazier and zanier, and that's going to appeal to certain people, right? We're kind of all Euro players. We want control when we're playing. Yeah. Some people are going to turn over those Arena Master cards and go, ah, oh, that's the rule change. Yeah, it's something completely different. <laughs> Every round is completely different. And- yeah. So Shadespire mixed with Flux. It, it doesn't appeal. <laughs> it doesn't appeal to me. 
Anything mixed with flux does not appeal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, there are actually things that I actually didn't enjoy. I loved creating the, your own freaks. I liked the sponsor cards. I felt like they made it really interesting. They were a little bit too random, but they were interesting one-off powers. And I liked that the missions that were directing you towards a particular player, either left if, or right. If you could choose your mission and sponsor cards to fit what yeah. you drafted... But the fact that you were just top decking and it was like, ugh, great, my snipers have now got to get right next to Sean's <laughs> aliens to score. Brilliant. Fair, fair enough. I think they could have done that it's like more cleverly. But I like the idea in that you don't want to be picking on just one player. So you might have someone that's quite weak and everyone's just piling on them, scoring their points. And they're just, yeah, because they direct you. They, they, they yeah. say if you've taken out two freaks from the player on your left or if you've done it to the player on your right, and they, they make you go to the different players to score points, right? They do, yes. I, I think actually think there's two decent games in the box and they've done a hybrid of them and the space freaked it. Yeah, there's that, that completely wacky, weird flux the arena battle, if you like. And then there's the other tactical fighting game, which I think would be better on the... There's two sides of the board. One's tighter, that would be better. If the scoring tightened up a bit and I got rid of the arena master cards, I think that could be quite interesting and there's an expansion coming out this Essen I will have a look at it because I didn't hate playing Space Freaks it was for all the things I've said about it that weren't to my taste it wasn't an awful hour long thing to do I, as you said there were the scoring changed every turn so you was like oh I'll, I'll fancy doing this this turn I fancy doing that this turn at least you had things to think about and do and there was a bit of thought when in your turn yeah, so I'm going to have a look at the expansion I haven't completely given up hope it's just it hasn't been made to my tastes for that sort of a game. Yeah, well, for me, I think it took a little, a couple of rounds to get into the flow. Because the first, when you first play it, you're like, but I don't see them, I'm doing any, making any choices. Once I got into the flow of the, the game, then, yeah, I kind of understood where my points were coming from and how to maximise my points and get as many as I can and chain things together. I wasn't, it wasn't perfect. I wouldn't choose to maybe go out and buy the game, but I'd certainly play a game of it and I didn't hate my experience with Space Freaks. Marvellous. We've got a, a last-minute change to programming here, Sean. We'll talk about that a bit later. But the final game we're going to review is Veracruz 1631. Two to four player game, taking around 15 to 20 minutes to play from GDM Games, designed by Eloy Pujadas and Joaquim Villalta. So Veracruz is a port uh, around the Caribbean which was settled by the Spanish, and in this game you all play the role of merchants in the port who are trying to load their particular goods onto the three ships who are about to sail home to Spain. Each player is going to play one card from a hand of four on their turn. And there are four different types of goods. And at the very beginning, you get given secretly one of those types of goods, and that's the only good that will score for you. There's gold and silver, which can only be loaded on the left-hand side of these ships. And there's corn and cacao, which can only be loaded on the right-hand side of the ships. Now, when you decide to load one of three ships up with these goods, they have a weight and a points value, and they're both the same. And whatever that, that number is, you're going to shift the balance of the ship that way towards the direction. So if you put gold on the left, it will shift left. And there's a scale to show you how balanced it is, not the total weight on either side. But the total weight does matter, because each of these ships has got a certain amount of cargo they can carry. And once they get to towards their limits they're going to be ready to sail and if all three of them get to the point where they're ready to sail that's when we stop playing cards and we're going to do some scoring now there are other cards you can play there are rocks which will load up well they're not worth any value but they'll help you balance out or otherwise the ships and there's empty box cards which you can play on top of a card that's the last one to be played and that will steal all the cargo out of there and remove that weight from the ship helping you again balance it up 
when you play the card, you can draw a card from one of two stacks. Anytime one of those stacks empties, there's four in them whenever they get refilled. You're going to flip a weather token, which is going to come up sunny side or rainy side, and that will make the weather better or worse on a scale of one to five. The balance of the ships can only go one to five. I can't go any further than five. You can't load it up if it was going to do that because it would capsize. Once we've got to the point where all ships sail, we check the weather, we check the balance of the ships, and as long as the ships aren't overbalanced and their balance is beyond the current state of the weather, then they're going to make it home and all the cards on there are going to score. However, if the ship is overbalanced, for example, it's balanced three over to the right and the weather is four, it's pretty bad, that means that ship will not make it and none of the cards on that ship are going to score. The last thing you do all the way through is you can bet either for or against a ship making it home. The first person to bet correctly, and you do it secretly with two cards, you play them at the bottom of the board. The first person to do it is going to score four points, second, two, third, one. If you bet incorrectly, no matter where you are in that order, you're going to score minus one point. That is Veracruz 1631, a very quick game of take that and misleading your enemy merchants, if we can call them that. Coming out of Essen 2018, managed to get a quick peek at it. Does anyone got anything they want to fire at me? I, I watched a very good video on this. It from some like, pit stop, it was called, on Board oh, Game I Geek. Keep talking. Sounds amazing. Go on. <laughs> it was. And it struck me that it should be renamed Galaxy Trucker 1631. It, 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 <laughs> It feels like it's 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 bits of Galaxy Trucker. You know, you 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 set your your ship up and then you go and set it off and see see what bad things happen to it. Does it does it feel like that when you play it? It does, it's got that kind of fatalistic thing to it a bit, where you go, mm, "I'm going to load these up here. This 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 might not pay off. Let's have a look." But I think once you play a couple of times, you learn to try and hide what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But because it's only 15 minutes long, you can't hide too much. You're kind of hiding out in the open. So. Mm, kind of. <laughs> That's just what kind of struck me, as you say. It looks good, though. It looks fun. How are these guys going to sort of make this stand out from the crowd, Ronan? Because it's got it's got a ship on the front. There must mm -hmm. be a thousand games with a with a, uh, an old sort of sailing ship on the front. How are they going to make this one stand out? Their key to Essen victory is grabbing hold of people and saying, "It only takes ten minutes to play." It's only going to take 10 minutes to play. Do you want to try it? You've got 10 minutes? And if they can get enough people playing it, I think it will generate buzz because it's almost a perfect con game mm -hmm. because it's one minute to teach. As you're playing it, you're kind of screwing each other over a little bit, but there's still some thinking in there. And then you get kind of the flip of the token. It's sunny or it's rainy, and you'll be cheering or you'll be groaning either way when that flips over and go, oh, the weather's great. No, that person's going to win. Yes, the weather's got worse. Great. We're going to sink that ship. It's got the potential to really generate some buzz as a quick, fun game, as long as they can get the people to actually try it. And uh, is it is it a two-player game? Sounds like it should be for more, really. I think with the two players... Oh, yeah. I, I haven't played it two-player, so I'm just going to guess. But we guess about most of these games anyway. We don't <laughs> really have any <laughs> comments. Um, probably not at its best. I don't know. I don't know. I'm... I'm just stop. one of the complaints I've got about it is that if you don't get your own good in your hand if I was the gold merchant I got their gold cards it could be very tough for me because then I really feel like I don't have much control you will get gold cards because you're pulling from two stacks and there's not that many different cards in there but to start off with you can feel like you're slightly behind the curve and you're just playing saboteur the whole time until you can get some gold in your hand I'm, I'm a bit more forgiving of games that do that that are only 15 minutes long as opposed to a, a, a 90 minutes one where you've, you've hobbled from the start do you know what I mean you, 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 oh totally yeah you, yeah. you can accept that in a, in a in a quick game because it, it feels more throwaway. And and not only is it so throwaway, but every time a player plays a card, you're kind of thinking, "Oh, 
you know, and if they played three different types of goods, you're well, what good are you? Well, I mean, because mm-hmm. I've got I wanted to play this silver card here, but now it looks like that might help you out, but I'm not sure because I'm not the silver merchant, so who is? And then when someone plays a bet, there's always a bit of oh, what's going on there? And this is obvious that a ship is completely overbalanced, and then they could bet, and then the next time they play an empty box thing and it swings the balance back towards the middle again, and you're like, quick, everyone bet, that's gonna make it. It's it's so interactive, and every it's literally just one card play, boom, draw a card, boom, draw a card, boom, going round around the table. Everyone's got a fair number of turns, so you feel like you've taken part. Every turn, you're watching something. So I think, as a filler, it's it's very good, and I would recommend going and trying it. I can't imagine it's going to be very expensive at Essen. So I would go and seek out GDM's uh, booth and give it a quick go. It's not going to take much of your time up. You've, you've sold me on it anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to go have a look at it. It sounds yeah, good. And buy a bottle of my snake oil while you're there. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, so that that is it for part one of the show. We're going to come back in the second half with our top ten most excited for Essen 2018. So as you know, we get over over excited for Essen each year. Whoop, whoop. And coming up, you're going to get what? Who? What? What? That was, that was a woot from short. Sean's wooting. <laughs> I am wooting. There's too it's much wooting. It's like the Wu-Tang Clang over here. Oh, <laughs> he's there every week, ladies Have and gentlemen. you seen the video where they put different cartoon characters and members of the Wu-Tang Clan to protect your neck on YouTube? No. <laughs> Immediately. Don't, don't worry about recording. We'll fill in for you. Go and find it now. It's amazing. He-Man is Method Man. Possibly my favourite. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Moving on, Essen. We love Essen. We've got a bunch of treasure hunts coming up for you and some reviews of Essen games and all sorts. But we're starting off on the right foot with our 10 most anticipated releases. We've got Dan in here because we see him every year at Essen and, and we do steal his clothes. So we thought we'd better get him on as some sort of compensation. Dan. to go around naked last time. What? Yes? Uh, it was It was marvellous. It was marvellous. <laughs> That's one for uh, for dice. Are you deliberately using the word marvelous? Because I use it quite a bit. Is, is, is this is this some kind of sarcastic passive aggressive? No, no, he, he does phrase. like the odd marvelous. I think. All right, okay. We, we are brothers in marvelousness. That's all right then. There you go. There you go. We are close in many many yeah. ways. When we Twitter message each other simultaneously today, I did get a little tear in my eye. <laughs> anyway, what's your number ten game? My number ten. Now, before I start on this, my disclaimer is: yes. my excited about Essen list isn't down to a, a very in-depth review of rule books and things like that. This is pretty shallow stuff going on here, so don't be expecting big deep delves um, like you usually expect. My number 10 is a little card game called Pip Mats, I'm guessing that's how it's pronounced, by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle. And this is from Lookout Games. It's from 2 to 4 players, and it's 20 to 40 minutes long. And it's a card game about birds at a bird feeder. I'm not entirely sure of the rules, because the rule book... Well, I don't, it might be up. I don't know. I haven't looked at the rule book, but I've kind of looked. I've looked at the photos, Ronan. I've looked at the photos. And it, I'm not good at photos. No, Dan. no, no. But teach me. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there's no dogs in it, and there's lots of birds though. And the bird, the bird art is really nice. It's got kind of that feel of the kind of Victorian ornithological, biological, you know, printings and things. And that that looks gorgeous. Like the fern craze. Yes, exactly. It's from the designers of Fleet as well, um, which is so it's got some good pedigree. It's a nice, simple game. It's relatively cheap. It's one of those games cheap. It's birds, you see. It's one of those games where tweet about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I tweet about that. Yeah, very good, very good. You're, you're robbing my jokes. It's one of. <laughs> Don't crow about it. I think we should probably stop now. 
<laughs> before people start owling with pain. Um, right. oh. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll flamingo. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's a simple game. Good pedigree from the designers. It's cheap enough to, to take a punt on. It might be the next Arboretum. You never know. Pippermets. I looked at this, Dan, and I, my initial thought was you really are a tit. Hey! Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Sean, uh, Raven. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Yeah, it, it does look very nice. I wouldn't have picked this out a million in a million years myself, Dan, but it, it looks cool. Nice little set collection game. Yeah, I, I shall have a quick go. It won't, hopefully it won't take up too much of my time in essence, so I'll, I'll have a little look for this one. The fact that it's from Lookout Games and the designers, as Dan said for Fleet, drew me to look at it. Apart from the bird cards, some of the cards do look a bit bland but then i'm not good at photos take that with a pinch of salt (laughs) and what is it with bird themes in little card games like cue birds and this and what was that a cuckoo that one you were looking at last year sean seems to be a lot of little card games linked to birds for some reason isn't there one called cue birds or something there is one called i I literally just said cue birds you're not good at that shows you how much attention i've I've got a copy of cue birds downstairs at at the moment any good I don't know, I haven't played it yet. But yeah, no, I don't know. There's something about this that charmed me. That charmed me. And yeah, that... as, a, as, as a skin-deep judgment of yeah. it, you know, it, it is promising, but the thing with these sort of shorter card games, I've got a lot of people who go to Essen that are friends of mine who tend to pick up hundreds of them. Yeah. And I let them play them and come around March or April time, the ones they're still playing, those are the ones that I'll then play and then decide if they're any good or not. So I'm a, I'm a judgment reserver on peep mats. That, I do that with the heavier games. Yeah, we're, we're the idiots who spend the $60 a game, <laughs> and they're the ones that spend the $5 a game. <laughs> it's actually probably the biggest hole in my collection is actually very quick, small what, card bird games. Bird-themed small card games. Bird-themed small card games, yeah, I just don't know. I actually do have Cuckoo, but never mind. <laughs> cuckoo. Cuckoo. Anyway. So, moving on. My number 10, and as we've already touched upon, I chose because basically i didn't have any out and out just fantasy nonsense games in my collection it's hero path dragon war definitely not in your collection in your collection you've got hundreds collection of my top 10 eve or what have you yes i think well saved yeah no 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 moving on it's from unique board games limited designed and he's also the artist by isaac nivo so players are basically heroes travelling across a land, fighting monsters, gaining power, skills, gold, weapons and resources, and eventually gets to face the big dragon at the end. So yeah, a lot of tropes in there. Why did I put it on? Because, well, initially because there were a lot of Euros on my list and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm letting myself down here. I need, I need some of those fantasy tropes on there. But I like the fact that he was trying to combine sort of that role-playing game elements with actual sort of Euro board gaming and gathering resources and building up. It's an ambitious project, I know, but I'm, I am actually keen to see how it plays and see if they actually manage to do it. Now, there's a, there's a few games of these, like this that are trying to do a similar things, but I don't think any of them have done, done it perfectly yet, so I'm definitely going to check this one out in Essen. This is the sort of game you always make me look at in Essen. Yes. <laughs> a big fantasy game, loads of bits, alleged theme by a first-time designer and publisher. Yeah, I've got it written down here. First-time designer and publisher. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, you got to help it's the small people. It really works out well, Sean. You conglomerate fancy as you. 
or quality fanciers or <laughs> pedigree fanciers or anything that gives me hope. Look, oh, yeah, if it's not Asmodee, you don't want to know, do you? <laughs> I want to hear Dan's thoughts on the theme of Hero Path Dragon Roar. It looks incredibly uninspired, doesn't it? I mean, I don't mean to be mean to you, Sean, but it's going to be a theme throughout this entire top ten, I'm afraid. (laughs) Because there's nothing on this that makes me think, hmm, that looks like a good game. And that was me being being kind to your bird game. Well, feel feel free not to. Feel free not to. The only reason I would look at this is if I got positive buzz from people who've played it six months down the line, because this looks uninspired to me. Nah, fair enough. I, I like to try and look around away from the big the big companies. Yeah, and I do yeah, like to yeah. try and support these uh, sort of new designers, new publishing houses, and Usually the fact with about that they are euro. <laughs> trying to combine two very distinct places in gaming with the role playing and the and the board gaming. I think it's ambitious, but I'll definitely give it a look. Yeah, yeah. And that was Hero Path Dragon Roar. My number 10 is Chronicles of Crime, designed by David Cicero from Lucky Duck. One to four players taking around 90 minutes. In it, the players are playing as police detectives solving crimes in modern day London, using a bunch of components to investigate and people you can go and see. But this game comes with an app and the same components are used for various crimes and there is sort of an overarching story to it and as you use QR codes on the components and the picture of a person may be the suspect in one crime it may be the victim in another maybe someone who's assisting you in another one so for economy of actual bits within the box I think you're going to get lots of different scenarios in there you visit around the different locations scanning Uh, every time you do something or visit somewhere time ticks along within the game itself it's not a real time game but the, the the app takes account of how much time you spend and then the situations can change as time ticks along and and new information might come to light or the suspect may have moved and you have to find where they're going now or new evidence can appear in certain places and one of the sort of the the gimmicks to selling it is that in the app you you get 3d glasses you put them on and in the app you use them to look through and you get a set amount of time to look around a room and all the things you can see in there you can then collect and then you can scan them in and find out if there's any use to them but again all this is costing you time and then other people can spend in-game time to have a look around and and check what you've done and it's got a uh, mask of anubis a little bit of a feel to it there while you're thinking and solving crimes and it's just got me very excited yeah, it looks interesting. The, the Mask of Anubis thing, I got a Mask of Anubis when it first came out at Essen, actually, and it was great, but the kind of the appeal wore off after a little bit. But this looks like there's more in there to, to get your teeth into. So it, there's more of a game there as well as just a novelty of looking around Mask of Anubis style. I think this could be really good. This could, this could be big, you never know. Yeah, I was following the Kickstarter campaign of this and I, I meant to back it, but I, I never actually got around to, to doing that backing and I was gutted that I missed out on it because, yeah, that just be able to that visual representation of the crime scene and be able to look around for visual clues and, and explore this world visually. Just really I'm probably not going to be very good at it because I'm not good at photos. No, you're not good at photos. <laughs> you're going to need a bit of help, dear. <laughs> but yeah, oh man, it was it, my biggest Kickstarter miss of the year and uh, very much looking forward to seeing it in Essen. Marvellous, yes. So to final thoughts, maybe like an update to Sherlock Holmes, which has been popular for over 30 years. So clearly there's something there. The fact that it's set in London, obviously going to excite me, real places that I go to, you know. It's flexible, it's fixable. If anything doesn't quite work, they just need to update the app and change it, which is one of the problems with other detective games where things don't quite work out well. So I'm very excited for Chronicles of Crime. 
Mm-hmm. Dan, your number nine. My number nine is Concept Kids Animals. So this is by, oh my goodness, Getran Bujanonot and Alain Rivlulet by Repos Productions. Two to twelve players, um, although I imagine it'd be two to whatever players, uh, and 20 minutes. And this is basically a, a kid's version of the, the game concept, the kind of party game concept. I don't know if you've played it, where you, you have to give clues by putting little cubes on, on a board. It's a bit like um, Pictionary, apart from you don't get to draw the pictures. Or, or it's, 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 well, it's, you, you've made that sound worse than Pictionary, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you played Concept? Have you played Concept? Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's a great game. And this game is a kind of it's a version of a game we play in the car with the kids, actually, because you basically they have to guess an animal, and they say, you know, in our version, it says, do, do, do they eat grass? And we say yes or no, and all that kind of stuff. But in this one, you're going to be putting cubes down on various icons on the board to kind of indicate if it's a meat eater, if it lives on a, in the jungle, if it lives in a farm, all that kind of stuff. And the thing that I'm really interested in is that this is a, this is a game that you can play with kids who can't read. So it's a game that will go very low down. It'd be educational, it'd be a good kind of bonding experience between you know everyone. And I think, I think it's a really good idea to adapt concept for kids, and I think it's going to be really enjoyable. I'm really quite excited about this one. Uh, this is one I'm definitely going to pick up, is, is this one. Uh, absolutely on my radar, Dan. I've always kind of thought with concept, I really wish that there was a sort of an easier version because I, or, or I have to wait until my son gets a bit older. This one's coming now absolutely perfect. In a few years, my, my younger son will be able to join us. So, yeah, I am on board and I'm going to be picking this one up in SN2. Yeah, I just said I love concept, absolutely. And I love the idea of opening up to younger kids. Concept itself is a bit tricky for some people to get. Like, yeah, whenever I play it with like six or eight people, there tends to be one or two people going, oh, I'm not getting the idea of this at all. And you guys have got young kids than I have. Do you think that that sort of abstract nature will be okay for younger kids? Do you think they'll, they'll really get the, yeah? I, I don't I don't think it's going to be as abstract as concept is because con- well, I hope the, not <laughs> because some of the some of the clues that you've got to be giving in concept are very abstract aren't they they're very you've got to like do a phrase or something like that whereas this mm. is going to be an animal you know so so there's going to be definite facts about the animal that you can you can you'll be able to be pointing out and stuff you won't be having to make big leaps of faith you know that red white and blue is america and all that kind of stuff it'll be it is a meat eater it lives in the jungle you know it's black it's a black panther or whatever i don't know but i think i think i'm hoping anyway that it'll be simple enough and looking at the board it looks like it's going to be simple enough for kids kids to get and it'd be good for their their logical you know functioning and all that kind of stuff i think it'd be very good developmentally so that's my number nine it's concept kids animals okay i'm i'm Coming from that left of field again, and my number nine is Marvel. Sean, Sean, top ten anticipated, not esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> Marble bobsleigh from Gemblow, designed by Justin O. Basically, in this one, it's uh, it's representing a bobsleigh, and the players are going to roll marbles. There you go, marble bobsleigh on a play area with basically there's lots of grooves. There are targets at the centre of this maze of grooves. And each player has a set of their own marbles behind flags. So when a certain marble is rolled by a player, everyone can try to intercept this marble to have theirs touching it when it gets to the centre. And it's all about pulling out the right flag at the right time to try and just usurp each other. This one, it could be absolute nonsense or it just could be loads mm-hmm. of fun. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Dan's, Dan's leaning <laughs> on the nonsense side. Uh, no, 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 no. It, this it, caught my eye as well. It captured my imagination. I really want to try it. I'm, I'm really, I'm not going to invest any money on this Prius, and definitely it could be nonsense. But I think it stands out from the crowd, so I'm quite keen to give this one a, a go. D- depending on how the mechanics work. This has been the potential to be great, but it also has who, the potential to be awful. Who knows? Yeah, yeah who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Even after playing, we might not be able to make that jump. Exactly. exactly. You're going to have to get your hands on it and roll the marble around. I mean, as it stands, it looks like the insert you get packing a TV or something like that, doesn't it? it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but yeah, it looks, looks, looks interesting. The proof of the marble will be in the bobslaying. The one reason I'm happy for you to mention it, Sean, it's because I get to crowbar in the Marble Run YouTube channel into our podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Go and look at Marble Run on YouTube. It's marbles racing over a season down quite complicated courses, and they give the marbles names, and you start sort of thinking the marbles have personality. <laughs> I do. It's amazing. It's got, it, it had a, like tens of thousands of subscribers about two years ago. Now it's got into the millions. It's really fantastic. I think the drone camera coverage really uh, really stepped it up a level. Anyway, that's Marble Run YouTube channel. Sean, your number nine is, is who knows? Mar- Marble Bobsley. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Okay, my number nine is Underwater Cities. It's Vladimir Sushi's new game, and he started up Delicious Games just to publish it, or someone has. It's for his games anyway. It's a one-to-four-player game taking around two hours, very much a Euro, in which you'll be playing cards to build up cities underwater. Around the cities, you can be putting buildings in that can help you with production and resources. You're going to have to build tunnels to connect them all together and hopefully to coastal metropoli, which will help you out scoring points. There are cards you play from your hand which are green, red, Red and yellow. When you play a card, you put your action token on a green, red, or yellow slot around the board, which have actions which you can do if you've matched the colour of your card to the colour where you've put your action token. But they work slightly differently in that the green cards are really powerful, but the actions that go with them in the green slots are not that great. The reds are kind of middling, and yellow's the opposite in that the actions are very powerful, but the yellow cards are not that great. And you're making decisions as to which of those you want to do. It plays over three eras with the cards escalating through. At the end of each era, you have to feed your population. You start off with symmetrical boards. When you get to know it, a little bit like Castle Burgundy, I guess, but although it doesn't really look like that, is that there's B-sides to the board, so you can play with asymmetrical. Once you get to know it, there are contracts for in-game scores. Scoring. It's a hefty traditional Euro that I've already said that's kind of what I go to SM4. I buy them all, and then my friends try them and they decide which ones to keep. So that's why this one has caught my eye. Underwater cities. This this looks too complicated for me to even comment on until and, until I've played it. I, I don't think I'll have an opinion of it. My friend Mike, he's um, Mike again. He's proofreading the rules. He. he he helps um, with yeah, Mike the Pillock. He's been reading the rules, and, and he says he, he feels it's going to be really good, and he's really quite excited for it. So that's that's you know that's enough for me to to be interested in it. But I'll let him buy it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's oh well, it's, it's Vladimir Sushi. I will always be interested in these games. It's definitely on my radar. Slight concern about the theming and or whether it's just an abstract puzzle, but definitely going to have a look at this one. It's from the man who likes Aquasphere. Oh, what an aquasphere! <laughs> Twice. Twice in one show. You've fallen uh, for it. <laughs> I will say, 
now that he's publishing his own games, you have to be careful when an artist gets editorial yeah, control. Yeah, you do. You're right. Which is my uh, cue for Dan to mention Stonemaier Games. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've got enough hate for that recently, so maybe I won't. But I, I do think there is a problem with people who self-publish games in that they, they lack an editor. They lack somebody coming, looking over the shoulder and saying, well, maybe that's a bit too much. Yeah, that's going to come up again. I mean, we said it about um, Founders of Gloomhaven. Yeah. Uh, yeah, last episode that I think Isaac Children needs an editor, but he's brilliant, but he thinks he's an editor. Anyway, so we don't know because this hasn't come out yet, so we'll see whether he does or not. But just that's probably the only thing that made it number nine rather than way, way up there. Uh, you are with simple actions, you know, you're not trying to do a million things in your turn, you're just playing a card, taking action, but it's got repercussions. Vladimir Sushi, I never really find a derivative, so I'm hoping there's something original in there. So I'm, I'm excited for Underwater Cities. Okay, so my number eight is Isle of Sky Druids. Uh, this is an expansion. I'm not sure if I'm allowed expansions, but I'm having it. Damn it! It's by an Andreas no. Pelican. All right, okay. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to play it standalone then. Andreas Pelican and Alexander Fister. It's from Lookout Games. It's two to five players and well, sixty to seventy five minutes. But I think that's if you play it with a base game, obviously. I love Isle of Sky. I adore Isle of Sky. I really didn't like the Journeyman expansion. It felt like it put unnecessary faff and complication onto a very nice, pure, simple game. This expansion, Druids, is what I was hoping Journeyman was going to be, which is more of the same. And that's what I want in, in an expansion. I, I rarely get expansions because generally all I want is more more stuff for a game that I've sort of played out. By no means have I played out Isle of Sky. I'll, I'll play it any time. But more interesting things to do within that while keeping the same game at its core is very attractive to me so um so i really fancy this one yeah i like isle of sky but i've never sort of been driven to buy it or anything i'll always i'll always have a go but yeah this one doesn't sound like it's going to change anything or make me think that isle of sky is a must-have for me so it's one that yeah i'll probably pass me by the other expansion was probably more likely to sort of make me look at it and actually look at it with with uh, isle of sky itself but as you say you're saying that it wasn't very good then I, I didn't like it some people loved it i didn't like it because i felt i've got enough heavy euros um and what i want is a light auction game uh, which Isle of Sky was, well, medium light auction game. And it just, it made Isle of Sky into a heavy Euro, which I didn't think was necessary. I, you know, I, I think it, it, it had the worst of both worlds, really. But that's just me. You know, that's just me. And, and this is just a more of the same expansion. So it won't, it won't change anyone's minds, like Journeyman might have done, but it will please people who love the, the base game. What this conversation is teaching me is that I need to try Isle of Sky again with Journeyman. <laughs> because... well, you should do. You should do, because it really, really complicates the game. Good, good, because I didn't, I, I didn't really like it. <laughs> I felt like you could play well in quotation marks. I know that's you know whatever, and and things might have things go your way, especially early, and people get those early scoring before you can get near them. And I don't know, it it wasn't my favourite. I didn't find the whole pricing things went very well. I was terrible at it, and that's well, that's probably why it's not your favourite, then, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I wasn't good at it. And then there's a weird thing. Like, I don't know, this is slightly therapeutic. I, I love Scotland, first of all. I love it. I've been up there many, many times. I've got friends up there. I love visiting. Edinburgh, Glasgow, all around. What is it with Scottish themes in board games? Because whenever I go to Scotland, there's not just whiskey distilleries and sheep and kilts. There's other stuff. Like, can we have a board game about shipbuilding on the Clyde? Or yeah. about something that's not bloody whiskey and sheep? 
At least they get themes. That's all I'm saying, Ronan. There are some parts of the country who are solely neglected. The, none of the good parts, mate. I just said Chronicles of Crime. What's up with you? <laughs> so that's my number eight, Isle of Sky Druids. Lovely. Okay, so my number eight is Dice Hospital, coming from Alley Cat Games, designed by Stan Kordonsky and Mike Nudd. So essentially you're building a hospital where the patients are represented by dice. You're going to get them to six to heal them, but don't let them get below a one, otherwise they're going into the morgue. And you're going to earn points for healing. Did you just make people going into the morgue sound a bit chirpy? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Just checking. And you're going to earn points for healing those patients. You're going to add departments and staff and equipment to your hospital. And the person who makes it the most efficient hospital is going to win. So why have I chosen this one? I absolutely love the theme. I remember an old, old computer game I had as a kid that was called Theme I knew Hospital. You were going to mention it. I knew it. <laughs> and I loved it. And it was rubbish, but I loved it because I loved the theme. I love Tableau building anyway. It's been real well received so far in, in all the reviews that I've seen of it, and the production looks great. So Dice Hospital is definitely on my radar. I love the fact that you've got control of building up your own options and you control your own staff and your rooms to place them into. So you very much are making the decisions that will come back and haunt you later on. I love the aesthetic to it. I think it's really good and clean. The iconography, that clearly, it, when you treat a yellow, you can treat another yellow and all the rest of it. I had slight concerns about replayability but then they put the random events in and depending on how those random events go and so they're not too mental that could add a whole load of replayability so that when you get good at the game then you're dealing with with more problems as they come up i think it's really promising and i also am excited about dice hospital sean i think it looks really fun i, I really like the idea of the, the dice pips kind of going down to show them getting iller and iller i think that's a really good idea you're wrong sean in that Theme Hospital wasn't a rubbish game. In fact, I was only playing it last week. Oh, were you? Really? Oh, Dan. Kindred spirit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the um, Theme was yeah. the one where people's heads get massive and then yeah, they yeah, think yeah. they're yeah. Elvis yeah. and stuff like that. Got to build a deflator room yeah. um, <laughs> in order to, to, to deflate them. I vaguely remember it. Yeah, slack tongue is the other. Yeah, there's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of very good things. In fact, a lot of slack tongue around this room today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Sean. This looks really good. Cool, and if you get the deluxe version, you get little plastic ambulances to hold the dice. It's awesome. Mm, <laughs> so that yeah, was you made it sound less good. <laughs> that was Dice Hospital. Okay, my number eight is Cusco from Keesling and Kramer. Two to four players, ninety minutes long. Coming from Super Meeple, it is a reprint with uh, a change of name, a change of skin of Java in which you're going to be using six action points on your turn, similar to Mexica and Tikal, of which this is part of the trilogy. And you'll be playing tiles onto a board. You're trying to build these tiles up in layers to get your developers up onto higher levels of tiles, which will give you control of trying to build palaces to score your actual points. And that 3D aspect is very important in the game. Uh, It's like Tuluva a bit, but this game is actually good. And it's a lot meatier. And I played it years ago more than 10 years ago and i remember it frying my mind but i was relatively new to the hobby so i absolutely want to have a in fact i still got java but i haven't played it in a long time i want to see how it goes now with the lovely bits but i can just remember quality gameplay and you're adding quality components in it's it's a win-win situation for me with Cusco. I've, I've played to and i loved it um i probably would enjoy this one i'd like to have a go at it first as i say i think i think it's probably might hurt my my head 
a little bit. Almost think, guaranteed to. I yeah. remember being really like, thinky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it's it's nice that it's getting a new edition. It's nice that they're setting it in the, the, the same kind of geographical area that the others have done. Although it's a shame it's not another mask on the cover, I would say. But yeah, this is a, this is a solid, solid pick. Well done, Ronan. Well done. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> You yeah, complete I've, me. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really, I've never played any of the games in the series, and I certainly haven't played Tikal. But yeah, it's always been a game that's kind of been on, on the radar to a degree. I'm not sure it's my type of game. But why? Why certainly not Tikal? What did Tikal do to offend you? This one you were talking about. I definitely haven't played that. I'm trying to stretch and think if I've played the others, but I definitely haven't played Tikal. And yeah, I'm willing to give it a go, Ronan. And uh, hopefully, you do pick it up, and we can have a game. Yeah, I think Java was less talked about than Mexica and certainly Tikal. That was the huge hit and the higher rated of the three. But I enjoyed it more than the other two, even though I like them both. So mm. super excited for Cusco, my number eight. So my number seven is uh, Australia uh, with a Z in it by Martin Wallace, uh, published by Stronghold Games. One to four players, 30 to 120 minutes. Now, this is sort of the narrative sequel to Study in Emerald, which is Martin Wallace's kind of Cthulhu-based Victorian game, although it doesn't share any of the mechanics. It's more of a resource management and kind of train game with with time pressure, where you're colonising Australia, but then suddenly, oh, no, there's some Cthulhu things in Australia. (laughs) Oh, oh, no. Now, I'm not not 100% sold on the theme, to be honest. I think he's trolling us, Dan. Hmm? I think I, I think the theme is put farming in there, railways and Cthulhu. And I think Cthulhu, he's just yeah. taking the mick. He could be. He could be. There's a very interesting conversation around whether whether it's kind of a, a metaphor for the the Western kind of sub, subjugation of the Aboriginal culture, which is probably not the time or place to go into. Um, but I've, I've I've read some interesting thoughts on that because you're trying to you're trying to get rid of Cthulhu. <laughs> um, I think I, that because the the story is right that. The old ones, when they were in charge of the Earth, banned us from going to Australia. And yeah. then they've been defeated and studying Emerald. We suddenly get to Australia and find, oh, there's these people here all along. That's a bit yeah, it, it's a bit dodgy, isn't it? It is a well, bit especially, dodgy. I've mentioned it about 18 times. The immigrants thing in Nanny Nantucket or wherever it is. Has he lost the plot? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, well, I don't think it was Martin Wallace in, the, in Nanny Narkin or whatever it was. I don't think that was him. That was the actual company because they've, they've developed the game around his design. So, but they've, they're the ones that have changed the theme. Well, let's, let's, not start, let's not start accusing him of all sorts of stuff. I, I do like Martin Wallace. Dan, that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying, just trying to protect your legal status, that's all. Um. <laughs> I do, I do like Martin Wallace. I think he's done some amazing games. I also think he's done some mediocre games, and I'm not sure which of those this is going to be. But from first reports that I've heard from around the, the World Wide Web, this is an interesting game with interesting decisions to make, and the time pressure of Cthulhu waking up and starting to jump all over your your stuff could either be very interesting and very enjoyable, or it could be very frustrating. And I'm not sure which is that's going to be. I probably won't buy this straight off. I probably end up wanting to play it before I buy it, but but it interests me. Yeah, it's definitely a play before you buy. I looked at this when it was being kickstarted, and I, was, I wavered, but I, I ultimately decided, for similar reasons, Dan, that maybe yeah, it could, it could be a bit fragile. But I was the study of Emerald. I played it a couple of times. Really enjoyed that game, and when you throw anything with trains in, Martin Wallace always does trains very well. So he's yeah, good. He's trained. Keep an eye on. 
I'm going to nick Dan's shtick from earlier. It's like Aegis Dean meets oh. Galaxy Trucker. <laughs> <laughs> Here I build up my railway network and my farms and I've got my little resources. Here comes a flying... <laughs> um, I'm intrigued. I do love the time mechanism. You've got a set amount of times to do everything. I, I know that it could be called action points, it could be called anything, but I like that mechanism in games. It gives me a feeling of purpose. Yeah. I hope the story element adds to the flavour rather than just being sort of like a set of knickers for scoring more VP. You know, oh, you've, you've collected two guns, there's a thing you kill, it scores you four VP. I, I, I want to add slightly more than that. But the thing with Martin Wallace is I always expect more. And that's why sometimes I think his games fall a little bit flatter because you're, you're always expecting to be amazing. And even when he's just good, sometimes then we're knocking down a notch because we're like, well, you weren't as amazing as last time. So yeah, he's, he yeah, sets high expectations right. for me. That's true. So that's my number seven, Australia. Okay, so my number seven is Ceylon, and it comes from Ludenova, designed by Chris and Suzanne Zinsili. And in Ceylon, players are pioneers of the Ceylon tea industry. You are in the game building plantations, you are producing tea, you're selling tea, you're developing technology, and you're trying to meet demands and contracts. So in the the game, you're going to play action cards to plant, harvest... Uh, you can contract a counsellor who, if, if you're in a certain area, they've got certain abilities and you can advance your tech. It's all very, very dry. Euro, love it. It looks beautiful. I love the leaf score track around the edge of the board. Uh, as I said, very Euro. And I think there seems to be lots of paths to victory on this one. So definitely one for me to have a look at in essence. I think that leaf score track is probably the, the biggest amount of innovation they've put into this game, mate. <laughs> there, are not, there are lots of tried and tested uh, mechanisms going on. I'll give you that. This, I'm surprised it's on your list. It did not grab me. I read the rule book twice now. It seems to me like there's too little to do. There won't be enough variety between different players. And I definitely need convincing on Ceylon. Now, obviously, this is a snap judgment. I haven't played it. Happy to give it a go, but it's a long way from being near the top of my yeah, list. Yeah, I always go for, again, in my yes and lists that I get excited about, I always tend to go for one or two really, really dry Euros. Now, Rhodes was one that I went for a couple of years ago that we disagreed on that one. And that's, that's mixed people. Some people I know love it. Some people hate it. But this one no is one loves very that. much... They do. <laughs> I know lots of people love it. <laughs> and this one, yeah, it looks really dry and it could be hit or miss. But these are all could be hit or miss, so... My, my contribution is I like the box cover. Um, it looks like a box of tea, and I approve. But other, other than that, it just looks like a box standard Euro, doesn't it? Well, that's me told, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just wait for this next one. Oh. <laughs> and that was Ceylon, my number seven choice. Okay, my number seven is Shadows Amsterdam from Mathieu Aubert, Libelou, two to eight players, around 20 minutes. This is Codenames meets Dixit. The board is a map of hexes, and they've all got artwork on them in Dixit sort of uh, esoteric style. I'll use that word twice in one episode. There are two teams, and each team has got a clue giver on there. And the clue givers can see a map, and on the map, some of the hexes can be marked out as being clues for just their own team, clues which either team can collect. There are some police marked out on there, and goals which they need to guide their teams to. In real time, the clue givers are going to give their team one or two cards. And the number of cards they give them indicates how far their team has to move to get to the target hex that their clue giver is trying to get them to. And then the players are going to look at the artwork on the cards they've been given, look at the artwork on the possible hexes they can move to in one or two moves, and then eventually they're going to decide to make a move. 
When they move, we see what they've landed on. Now, they might land on a space that's nothing, and you just carry on and give them more cards. They might go land on a clue that's either exclusively for them or for both, and they can collect that. They might then land on the target when they've got enough clues, and then that's how they're going to win the game. However, they might land on a police space, and if you do that three times in the game, that's an automatic defeat, so you have to be very careful where you move to. You can't just guess. The game is played out in real time as a race between the players to collect clues, avoid the police, and get to where they need to be. Shadows Amsterdam. Firstly, real time. I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded. No. <laughs> This is this is a recipe for falling out with everybody at the table, isn't it? it, it it's going to be it's going to be horrendous. I yeah. tend to think that I'm probably going to fall out with anyone I play games with anyway, so well, this really doesn't enter into my consideration. Well, well, when you sit down, they already don't like you. I, I, exactly. I, I, you know, I've got I've got you know a relationship to maintain. I've got I've got a real thing with your mother-in-law. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I've got a real thing against anthropomorphic animals as well. There's a there's a there's a woman fox. On the cover, and that annoys me as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely down to you. <laughs> no, no, I'm with him. I'm with him. You, you're right. It, it is a mashup, isn't it? It, it? You can clearly see they're going. Oh, that's popular. And that's popular. Let's put these two together and make it real time. And Dan will refuse to even go to games night when this is being played. So no, thank you, Ronan. This looks awful. Well, right. it's, it's, like you, <laughs> it's like you were in my head, Dan. <laughs> You miserable it, The artwork looks terrible and, yeah, scary and... Um, Does the artwork look terrible? It's awful. It don't look... No, it's, it's horrible. It looks it's, like Dixit. They, no, they frighten me. And, yeah, real time, no. It, the game just looks a mess. Uh, yeah, I pass. Yeah. What, don't listen to these two absolute idiots. So my family love Dixit, Mysterium. We're going to talk about something in a second. Using art in unusual ways. I love code names. The reason the real time didn't put me off is because you can't be frantic in it. It's more punishing to go to the wrong spaces than it is to spend 30 more seconds and chat and, and get on. Now, I do appreciate that you don't want to be playing with stress heads. You don't want to be playing in a competition environment. You don't want to be playing with people who are going, come on, choose, choose, choose. <laughs> you ha- there has to be a little bit of, oh, that's that, that's that, that's that. Or of all these options, which one do you think? So, yeah, you've got to play with the right people, but you've got to do anything with the right people. I wish I'd podcasted with the right people, for starters, after not with my this game. <laughs> well, as picking this as your number seven, I'm not sure why you're even allowed to have a podcast at this point. <laughs> Who do you think, think someone allowed me? Was that Yeah. <laughs> you're all wrong. This looks fab. Ignore the haters. Shadows Amsterdam, my number seven. <laughs> my number six is a Perfect Hotel. This is by Hiroshi... Kamawuri? Murray? Maria? Something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm so bad at names. White Goblin Games, two to four players, 20 to 30 minutes. Now, this is something that was on my Essen list last year, actually. Um, this came out last year at Essen, um, and it's been kind of picked up. It was one of those Japanese games that, that kind of in the periphery of the, the outside of Essen, and there's only a very a small supply of them. A whole eight game. A whole eight game, that's dun, it. Dun, dun. <laughs> Which... Which you never know. There's going to be some gems there, but you don't. You don't. You don't get them. Um, but this has been picked up by a mainstream um, publisher, so obviously um, it's it's good. That's all I'm saying. So you're going to try and create a perfect hotel. Um, it's got a very twenties 
vibe. It's a very simple card game, a bit like that bird one, and very much like the bird one. It's because I like the art. I'm a big fan of Poirot and Jeeves and Wooster and all that kind of stuff, and and I really like the little the twenties art art deco type stylings to to this this game. I'm probably going to buy it this time because it's it's fate. That's all I'm saying. It's fate. It's kismet. It's kismet. It's a set collection where you're building up, building up, um, kind of floors of your hotel. Yeah. So I was looking at Board Game Geek, and I'm just bringing it up now. Uh, part of the description for the game: Perfect Hotel is a card game in which bonuses yep. exist for such thing as the tallest high riser and the most luxurious yes. top floor, and so on. Mm. <laughs> it looks like stuff. one of my one of my son's books that he takes home to read from school for the box cover. Uh, I like I like things where you construct things and you build your own stuff. So yeah, maybe maybe I'll see what you think once you've played it, Dan. Yeah, yeah, that's a very diplomatic way of putting it. Well done. <laughs> I'm I'm fixated on Dan as the Hercule Poirot of board gaming. Oh, I, I love it! I love it! I love the twenties! I love the twenties! The tallest high riser. I, I can't comment on that. <laughs> Just ask my I, mother-in-law. I, oh god! I really got to move on. <laughs> I think the hand management sounded interesting when I read the rules. I wasn't convinced it carried through to the scoring. So, but the scoring is only the very end of the game. The hand management is interesting enough that would carry me through. It's a try before I buy. I had dismissed it. At least you made me look at it, Dan. You, you've done a lot more looking into it than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the app. And I was coming on a podcast. <laughs> Sean, surely you've got more to say about your number six. No, you haven't. My number six features later in the Ooh. roundup. Trademark Eric Summer. my number six is Pandoria two to four players two hours long from Iron Games designed by Bernd Eisenstein who is Mr. Iron Games and he's been helped by Jeffrey D. Allers this time round it's a fantasy themed tile layer in which you're going to be laying down two ended hex tiles with a different terrain on either end of the hex when you lay down a tile, which you have to do on your turn, you're either going to place a meeple on either of the ends of that uh, tile or you're going to take a meeple off the board once an area of terrain has been completely surrounded, so you can no longer expand it, then it's going to represent one of the three resources in the game, and it's going to pay out. And all the tiles have got one, two, maybe threes, I didn't see them, of the resources on each of the tiles. And what you do is you multiply the number of meeples of yours which surround the area which is completed by the number of icons for that resource in the area, and you're going to collect that many off them. You can only ever have a maximum of 10 of each of three resources. If you're collecting more than that from this, then you're going to score one point for every three you would go over 10. The key to it is, though, all the meeples that are within that closed-off area get removed from the board. So as much as it is about being in place to score from areas getting completed, it is as much then about getting other players out of there by finishing off the areas which they are in. You can also use resources for other things, like you can buy spells with crystals, you can buy buildings for wood, from wood and for those buildings will give you in-game powers which will individual from other people and let you use things more efficiently and what have you and also you can upgrade them to monuments and that'll be end-game vp your buildings so you've got uses for these resources they're not just screwing you points for everyone you get above 10 there are like edge tiles around the edge of the board which can extend areas indefinitely so they'll never score or can protect your meeples because you can put that in an area which will never score because it's extended indefinitely. So it's all about protecting your own areas and screwing over other people by surrounding their meeples or whatever you can do to them. 
Pandoria, gentlemen. It, it sounds interesting, but I've really struggled to even make it through the board game geek blurb. The the, the theme is so awful. 100%. It, it's, you know, for generations, the fertile highlands were shared by the peoples of the five realms. It's like, oh, good grief. It was a time of war. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the way you're describing it now makes me quite interested in it. Um, the, the box art is gorgeous as well, it must be said. It's lovely. But, but yeah, this is, a, this is another one. I know, I know <laughs> this is why I need you guys to guide me through these things. This is another one that is just too complex for me to work out whether it's even good or not and i need you to do have to lay a tile played. and then either place or remove a meeple dan you're right that just sounds- yeah yeah <laughs> well they, 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 there's there's more to this there's more to this than i, than I can uh, than i can be bothered looking into That's if you I'm could saying. explore my mocking you please <laughs> so yeah for me the box art drew me into this one for sure the box art is absolutely gorgeous as dan said but once I started looking into it, the board looks bland. Everything in the in the box looks really bland. I don't. I think haven't like we only these... seen prototypes, Sean? Maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, the stuff I've yeah, seen is, is prototype. Seen... Whether they improve on that or change it, well, Probably hopefully not, they so do. Games. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's, there's some <laughs> character art which is likely to be final, isn't there? And that looks pretty grim. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah but... It is their style. But, and then I'm not a big fan of the sort of tactical, like, Tyler, where you try to surround things and it gets really mean and there's so much, like, faff on the board. You love, it's hard you love to tell. every variant of Carcassonne that's ever existed. Yeah, Carcassonne is streamlined and simple. This one and looks mean, really and you're faffy. trying to surround things. It looks really faffy and, and messy. That's why no, I, I, this I what I think crazy. about this one. It looks messy. There's too much going on. There's too many tiles around. There's too many. It's a bit mean. And yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not on board with this one at all. I think uh, you're crazy. I, I think you've like look of it. been bitten by a rabid bat. That's what I'm trying to think. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Games, the publisher, always make me look at their games. We made Cathargo Merchants and Guilds our game of the episode a couple of episodes ago. Phalanx and the original Cathargo, and even though I don't like Peloponnese, I can see at least there's a game there. The fact that it's tile laying, which I love. The fact you can build up your own individual powers. I have written here at Dan Remmermind fecking theme. Come on, you got to do better than that theme. It's just terrible. But anyway, they should have got something better. Another thing that's annoying me is that we're here less than a month out from Essen and there's no rule book available. Yeah. And the opponents aren't great. And yeah. we're talking about designers needing publishers and editors. Someone, someone who runs a publisher, get hold of Bernd Eisenstein and employ him and get him to design games and make his games because he's got so many good ideas. He comes up with original ways of doing things in Euro games, which is not easy, but he he's not great at PR. He's not great at marketing his games. So that that's my frustration with Iron Games. I will find them somewhere with a tiny booth, with a banner up. They'll be hard to find, and I'll buy Pandora for sure. And I'll still be frustrated thinking, why aren't you... These games are good. They should be making a better market go of it. Then that was my number six, Pandora. And hello, welcome back. This is now part four. We had to take a little bit of a break in between, so now it's a few days later before we kick off with Dan's number five. 
Yes, and my number five is Orbis by Tim Armstrong, published by Space Cowboys, two to four players and 45 minutes long. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure why I like the look of this one. I just do. It's an abstract tactical game, I think, where you're kind of building a pyramid of tiles. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the computer game Populous in theme, which I think is possibly one of the reasons why I'm attracted to it. It looks nice and short. It looks relatively easy to teach. I've seen a few playthrough videos of it. There's all kind of a resource collection thing. You're collecting resources on, on tiles you've already placed in order to help you build further tiles up the, the pyramid, I think. Um, it's Space Cowboys. I like Space Cowboys games. I think they, they do a good... I know, I know a lot of people don't like Splendor and things, but I think they have a relatively good kind of weeding out system for their games. They have a relatively good development system. So I'm looking forward to it. And I noticed on the, on the social interwebs that you guys have played it. Is that right? Well, Ronan has, because Ronan has been down to tabletop gaming live, and I'm sure we can report yes. back. Well, we've got a whole episode reporting back, but that's going to be in two episodes' time. And I made it a different episode while we're recording this episode, so I'm really confused whether I've played it yet or not, and where I am in this timeline. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's imagine you had played it, Ronan. Okay. In, in, in another universe where you may have played or may not have played this, was it any good? <laughs> My mirror soul says, yeah, it was very good. <laughs> okay. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, at Tabletop Game Live, Asthma Day had a bunch of games that come in at and probably half a dozen or so, including the brand new Pandemic, which I never got a play Ooh. off. But I can't talk about it too much because it's going to ruin the episode this is a solid pick for number five is it this is very good we really and one of the best things about it was you start off and you're just like oh i can take any tile la di da collect some cubes everything is happy and very very quickly i can't do anything the world hates me why can't i what have i done i'm an idiot and uh that and sounds I like, like my entire life story <laughs> yeah, so I looked if you at see yourself as a megalomaniac god, then maybe Dan. <laughs> so I, I do. I do see myself as a megalomaniac god. It, this is all becoming clear. <laughs> see, I looked at it beforehand, and uh, the box cover looked really good. Space Cowboys. I read the blurb; it looked all good. Can you not to mention box covers? Because we're just going to get shouted at. Get shouted at again. It stood out from the crowd. Anyway, <laughs> and yeah, I looked at the actual game pictures themselves and it kind of put me off is, is it really abstract is there any theme in there at all uh, it's really abstract unless you thought laying down little hexagons was going to be like building a world <laughs> it's a difficult question for me now the worshippers Dan called them resources they're, they're constantly referred to as worshippers and um, they're just resources but the, th- the tiles themselves they have different colours and they score in different ways and the way they score for what they are makes sense so that at least helps. It does it enough with the theme to tie together what you're doing and what the scoring is, which surely is, is what you're after. You only want the theme's only a, a kind of little hanger to to hang the game on anyway. I don't mind. I don't mind it not 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 making me feel like some kind of om, omnipresent god. I, I, <laughs> so that's I, every day for you. <laughs> yeah, that's, just, that's my everyday existence. You want, you want to take yourself away from that, don't you, Dan? You want to <laughs> exactly. I need to escape from that kind of reality. So. <laughs> So that's my number five, Orbis. Okay, so my number five is Futuropia from Stronghold and uh, 2F Spieler, from, uh, designed by Freedom and Frieser. It's an 
economic game set in a future utopian society and players are going to be members of a team that are trying to realize this utopia so you're going to do things like building self-sustaining homes that basically function as efficiently as possible you know buy food generators robots energy generators take loans and success is going to be measured in how many people in your home don't have to work anymore and how much food you you produce and the basic the makeup of your house the living quarters in your house obviously it's where i want to live in the future i want to just <laughs> lie in bed and have things brought to me and it sounds perfect it would again be difficult to tell the difference between the present and the future at this <laughs> exactly. stage. I, i've got I, I know how you can do that you just get in a really really bad car crash um, <laughs> okay, all right <laughs> I'm, I'm, I I'm think taking a mildly notes, bad Dan. one would do. <laughs> Sean, Dan's cut your brakes. <laughs> okay. This... Is, is, this, is this power grid without the the um, auction? There's elements in there for sure. I think it's more more about building up so your own tableau rather than on the board connecting networks and things like that. But yeah, I think there's elements of power grid in there for sure. Yeah, I just wanted to try another Friedman Free, so I've been quite hesitant should we say to try any of the the more recent ones uh, 504 really put me off and things like that so i i, I want to give one of them a go and i think this is the one that's drawn me in with that theme because i just want to be one of those humans from wally when they're just all being carted around with robots serving them again want to be or <laughs> Okay, this is this is where the way rule book fatigue really kicked in, and I started reading that, and we we're talking about a lack of theme or whatever. It was quite a dry euro. Now I go to Essen for a dry euro. I'd be disappointed if it wasn't a dry euro, but because I knew you were getting it, I couldn't be bothered to put the effort in to really decipher the rule book. Sean, I went looks heavy, looks dry. I'm definitely going to get to play it. I'll work it out when he gets it. I had a good go at reading the rule book, and I still couldn't quite fathom exactly what was going on. So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll try it and we'll try it and see. I think it's it's easy going into Essen to get put off by heavier games because you get to the rule book and you read it, and you go, oh, I don't know how it works. It's one of those things you got to kind of well, if I had to do it, fight through and go, no, no, it's fine. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. But for this one, I I just knew I didn't have to bother. So, <laughs> great choice. I'm pretty Yay. sure it's great. <laughs> Right, so that was my number five. That's Futuropia. My number five is Detective Club. Uh, it's designed by Alexander Nevsky, who was part of the team who did the original Mysterium and coming from iGames. It's four to eight players taking around 45 minutes. And Detective Club is a cross between Dixit and a fake artist goes to New York. In that one player is the clue giver. There's a slight twist in the scoring though. And they're going to play a Dixit or Mysterium-like card with artwork on it. And they're going to have a clue word, which is the reason as to why they've chosen that particular image. And they're going to hand out notebooks to the other players. Or you can do it on an app, which is available. And one player is just going to get a question mark and the others are going to get the clue as to what is linking this image. And then they're all going to play cards at their hand. And you can go around the table twice unless you've got very high player count. And then starting with the person who laid the card down, they're going to explain how, the, I say what clue word is, then they're going to explain how that clue word is linked to the two images they've played. And then players are going to do that around the table. And everyone's going to, going to vote to try and work out who the imposter was. The key difference is that, though, the clue giver in this one is working with the imposter. 
So they're trying to make it really obvious. And the more obvious that the other players play, the easier it is for the imposter, which is kind of like a fake artist. However, the other players can't be too esoteric in their choices because then they'll draw suspicion to themselves and they will be voted as the imposter, which will allow the others to score the points. So, Chaps, Detective Club. Oh, I've got a slight caveat here. Between choosing this and us recording this, a really nice prototype has turned up at our house, so I've played it, so I can give you my actual thoughts in a sec. It sounds very interesting. I I don't generally like social deduction type games, but this one sounds like with the right group, and it could be very funny to play. So, it it does interest me. And I do like Fake Artist Goes to New York, out of all the kind of... Those kind of games. That's the one that I would prefer to play. So I, I, I would be willing to play it, but but it wouldn't be wouldn't be on my buy list. I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I mean, immediately went to Dixit, and I suppose with Dixit, it's the cleverness and the sort of variance of the cards. So I, in my mind, it would depend really on that the cleverness of those cards. Looking at the cards, though, they they look very Dixit, don't they? They, are, they haven't, yeah. it, very Dixit. You could you could probably mix Dixit cards in there as well. I should imagine. Yeah, you definitely you certainly could. I will say that my family absolutely adored it. We had a power cut a few nights back, and we were sitting around wondering what to do. We were reading chapters of a book out to each other, and it was like how wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite cool. And then, but this had turned up, and I mentioned it to them, and they loved those Dixit Mysterium games. So that we cracked it out and played it by torchlight, and it was really good. They absolutely adored it. One thing I'll say is that it's not, it can't go as young as Dixit can and even Mysterium because you have to do that explanation and you have to be able to Mm. make up a story as to why are these two images related to a word I just heard. And I might have heard it 15 seconds ago. I might have heard it a couple of minutes ago from further around the table. That's just by chance because the clue giver doesn't actually choose who doesn't know what the word is. It's completely random. So they have to have that ability to just think on their feet. So, you know, younger kids are not going to be able to do it very convincingly. And also everyone has to kind of play within the spirit of the game as in don't have your card ready to play immediately as soon as it gets to your go and go bang 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 you have to at least take three or four seconds to look at what's been played and then play your own card because then it's really obvious who's got cards ready to play and who might be waiting for cards to get played especially if you're near the, the first couple of cards to be played where you're you know a card goes down a card goes down and it's your go you're just going to throw something random out of your hand so we had to kind of play within the spirit but it wasn't that hard to do and everyone had a really good time absolutely loved it so looking forward to getting the actual production copy but Detective Tub was a big thumbs up okay so my number four is Crackalacula by Inca and Marcus Brand it's by Ravensburger two to four players and it's 15 minutes playtime which is nice and short this is a one of the another old chestnut here. It's a vampire cockroach game where you're <laughs> honestly. <another> one. <laughs> How'd you pick this one out of the half a dozen of them there? <laughs> well, actually, it, it's 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 one in the line of um, these cockroach or crackerlacken. I think is the German name for cockroach games where there's hex bugs. It's a children's game, I should perhaps say. It's a hex bugs that's kind of skittering around a board, and you've got to kind of. You, I don't quite know how it's working, but you're chasing it around this this vampire cockroach by switching on lights and things like that. But the most important thing is there's a catapult in this game. And and for my mind, there's not enough catapulting garlic into centre of Hexbug skittering board games out there at the moment. So this this adds to the, the genre. I, I love Crackalacken. Um my all my kids love Crackalacken. It's a game I can take to my, my board game nights, my adult board game nights, and it always goes down an absolute treat, nice and short, a lot of silly fun. 
and this one looks like it's adding something new with the, with the catapult with the garlic. Um, I think the garlic use is lives or something. I don't know. I don't know. But the cat it's a cat- the catapult I'm focused on here, guys. <laughs> really quite enamoured. You should say catapult. catapult. Again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, actually catapult. looking at said catapult. And it looks like you actually catapult the actual hex bug into oh. the game. I thought you were catapulting garlic at it. You were turning lights on, and then when it was in a lit room, you flick. You're trying to get. Yeah, garlic that's what in I there. thought as well. I don't, I don't, I don't the know. Pic, the picture on Board Game Geek shows the uh, the hex and bug in midair. Well, let's face it. Someone's going to be catapulting a hex bug. It doesn't matter if it's a rule or not. <laughs> but yeah, Dan, I'm right with you on this one. I have bugs in the kitchen, and the next one I can't remember what that was called. And my my son. Not like sp- you reviewed it or anything, so you should no, be able to remember. That's right, that. then. My son especially loves bugs in the kitchen, and so do we. It's, it's quite a clever little game. And, yeah, all over this one, and I shall be picking this one up in Essen. Oh, me and you, Sean, we like, we like brothers. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, these hex bugs have got to work in the game eventually, right? So I guess catapult and garlic at them is as good a choice as any to make it actually be pulled off. And it does sound like my cooking style, just catapulting garlic into things randomly. It'll come out fine. It'll be good. Yeah, I, I'm a bit... Because it's not like the other caca games. It's not like poker and caca salad and caca soup and all that. It's a bit of... I don't, I'm not quite sure why they've pulled the two ideas together where they've got this line of small card no, games. No, it's not, it's, not, it's not part of that line it's part is of it the not? Cackalack it's, it's part of the in the kitchen line oh a different Cook, cockroach in the kitchen l- line yeah 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 it's just the name for cockroach that's all oh yeah. I see you've been yeah. very culturally insensitive here so actually there are too many cockroach <laughs> games out there and it's confused my tiny mind well, every, every, so, every, right, year, every year there's like a theme and people latch onto it and there's five or six games that all sort of follow <laughs> the same theme obviously this is it this year this is the in thing Key, key cockroach. <laughs> As all the cockroaches of the kitchens of Lisbon. <laughs> well. <laughs> okay. Sorry, anything else? Nothing. I have nothing. I'm empty. Okay. So that's my number four. Cacalacula. Which is a good name as well, isn't it? Cacalacula. You can't beat that. <laughs> Good man, good man. So, uh, Ronan, Ronan almost led us into there. My number four is Key Flow, not Key Cockroach. And it's from R&D Games, designed by Richard Brees, Sebastian Bleasdale, and Ian Vincent. And not too much about this. It's basically Key Flow, the card game. You're going to draft cards. You're going to send workers to work on yours and opponents' businesses to gather resources, develop your own village, upgrade your buildings, and earn gold. Why have I chosen it? I love Key Flow. I think this looks like a more portable version and there's going to be some new ideas added and yeah, what's not to like? Yes, I think the last key game wasn't the hit that it could have been. I haven't played it so I can't really talk of it but the, the boys have, I think. But yeah, I'm, I'm all up for key flow. I don't know whether key flow is any good or not because there was, there was no game in the <laughs> you rule didn't, book. You didn't get to the, through the rule book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have that little dig again, shall I? The 18th mention. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I played it with someone else uh, teaching me the rules, and it was all right. It just needed a, a really good edit, and and you just sat there thinking, well, why did they make this decision? And the reason yeah. they made this decision is because that no one else looked at the game, as far as I can tell, and said uh, that makes no sense. <laughs> I would have to concur with you, and the flappy, squarey thing was just rubbish. Okay, the <laughs> um, flappy, for key squarey flow, thing is that what we're? Ah, uh, the with? thing where you just you chose which fields went in so yeah. that. In theory, you controlled some resources in the game, but 
Yeah. It was just random. Just because you don't know the technical terms for things, Sean, don't need to abuse Paul Ronan, who's 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 read up on flappy te- flappy foldy things and, and knows exactly what he's well, talking about. That might be the advanced technical. rules section. <laughs> I think that's what he was getting at. You're missing all the subtlety in our jokes, Sean. No, What's sorry, going on? Yeah. Keyflow. Let's let's talk about Keyflow. Oh, I, shall we? yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. <laughs> I think that this looks really good. But I really don't need it because I also love Keyflower and I own Keyflower. And one of the things I like most about Keyflower is the auctioning. And the, this is drafting, which is a great mechanic, but it's not as much fun as the auctioning is. So I don't need it. Yeah. It looks good. I'll probably play it. See, I prefer drafting as a mechanic in, in a game. Auctioning's fine. I don't mind it, but I prefer drafting. And yeah. I was thinking more as it has a portable version to take on holiday, it'd be easy to cart around, etc. But yeah, I can see where you're coming from. The one thing I think what he's tied together is the fact that your space, the spatial aspect matters, which I like, but also that it's got that key flower thing of I can play meeple cards from my hand into someone else's tableau to to activate their area and then they get those meeple cards. So you know, if there is an issue with card drafting games, just that I, people aren't that fussed by what everyone else is drafting. Whereas mm-hmm. in key flower, it sounds like it actually is going to matter and you're going to have to be looking at what your neighbours have got and go, I can't let them have a three red meeple card because they're just going to come back and screw me on where I don't want them to play. So hopefully that will bring that into it and tie it together. In I, I love key flow. No, I love Key Flower, and hopefully Key Flow <laughs> distills that into a good drafting card game. I am very hopeful for Key Flow. I think it's a good choice, Sean. Oh, and that is my number four, Key Flow. And my number four is Azul, the Stained Glass of Sintra, from Michael Keesling, two to four players, 45 minutes long from Next Move Games. So everyone's going to know what Azul is, where you draft the tiles and you've got to put them in a certain pattern in order to score points. We really don't know much about stained glass of Sintra other than it looks pretty. You're putting some stained glass uh, tiles in. It looks to have exactly the same drafting mechanism as Azul, as in it's got a number of tiles out according to the number of players and you're going to take a certain number of them and some go to the middle. You can only get that from photos because I haven't seen any rules yet. Mm-hmm. You're building variable patterns of colours in columns. That Again, that's all we can make out. It's got pretty colours though and it's Azul, so that's why I chose it, because I'm excited. I think it's probably going to be good. I, again, I don't know whether it'll be good enough to to own, considering I own Azul, but the only the only way we can tell that is by the rules. I did notice that the designer of Sigrada got very upset about this game coming out. Did you see all that? No, no, go on. No, it was on Facebook, but I mean, it was public, so for people, but he, you know, felt that it was a big betrayal. The, you know, the, he felt it was very targeted at his game because obviously Azul is often mentioned in the same breath as Sagrada, and um, and he felt that it was unfair to use exactly the same theme and basically try and sink his game, and he took it very much as a personal attack. So was that was this, exciting. Um, was this Dave Stained, the, the the founder of Stained Glass? because what's he going on about no you can't have that theme I'm taking that theme and going home yeah I know it wasn't a very professional way of acting in my view but it was entertaining to watch (laughs) it's much more important (laughs) yeah But yes, I, I think it probably is going to be good. I, I, it does look very pretty. Um, if the gameplay is different enough, then I may well consider it because I love Azul. But if it's, it looks similar from the photos. To be honest, I quite like want a, similar, Dan. I quite want it to be like three percent different, so I can just go, "Oh, it's the same as Azul." <laughs> just for one of it, one more. <laughs> the next one has to be a bit different. But for the sequel, I'm like, just change it a little bit. That's fine. The next one's Azul Cockroaches, and that's going to be great. Uh, they're going to miss the boat if they don't do it this year, though. 
Another cockroach game. That's so 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, next move. Yeah, for me, I haven't really got a choice because Natalie will absolutely demand that I bring this back for Messen. And yeah, it's, it'll be in the case whether it's any good or not. It does look pretty, though. The cover looks beautiful as well. Oh, you, no, not box covers, lads. Honestly, how, I need to <laughs> Where put this come from? Where's this come Sean got in trouble for. Um, oh, he got in trouble for saying that certain a box cover was not very. Not, what was it, Sean? You, it was. I, I mentioned that if this particular box cover was in a, like a sea of other box covers, it wouldn't stand out. And in the, and it was a small publisher, and I like I felt that they had to sort of almost make their box stand out for it to get more looks and more people picking yeah. it up. And I got told off saying that that shouldn't be part of my review, which... Dan, you it, don't review the box cover, you're reviewing review the, the game, cover, Dan. Review the game, yeah. It's a very serious issue. But, well, but, that. to be fair... <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really made myself clear. I kind of made it sound like I was linking it into my review, but I wasn't. Okay, fair enough. So it was Sean's fault. It was anyway, fault. my number four anticipated <laughs> game for Essen was, as all, the stained glass of Sintra. My number three which has is a nice Show- box cover, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> my number three is Showtime by Stefan Klob, Anna Oppelizer, uh, pe- by Pegasus Spiel, the publisher, two to four players, 20 to 40 minutes. And this is a card game uh, where you're arranging cards out on the table. So you could even call it a tile laying game, I suppose, just with cards. And you're arranging the seating of a cinema to make the most optimum seating of a cinema. And the reason I've chosen this is because it's by the same author as Beastie Bar. I don't know if you guys have played Beastie Bar, but that's a game where you're arranging a queue to get into a nightclub. So he likes arranging people, this this guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and that is amazing. It's an amazing game where it's it's a take thatty type game where you you play this card and it affects all these people and all that kind of stuff. And this this game looks looks like it's very very similar. So you've got a, a kid who needs to go to the toilet all the time. So if you put it in the middle of the row, you're going to annoy all the other customers to either side of it because you're going to get sounds up and, like you, Dan. Walk. Well, that is very much like me. <laughs> walk past um, you've got noisy eaters I think and there's, there's some people who are only like action films and all kinds of stuff so it's all kind of a, an optimization game um, and you're fighting for your people to get the best experience out of the cinema I think it's a fantastically interesting theme I've got a lot of confidence that this type of game is done really really well by these these designers it's an obscure game I think but I'm really quite excited for it I think this is this has got the potential to be really really good yeah, this is what you definitely brought to my attention it's a little bit too close to home Dan because I am that tall person that nobody wants to sit behind in the <laughs> cinema. So, yeah, really interesting. You also stink, um, though. That's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to sit beside or behind or in front <laughs> due to the, the amazing amount of food I eat. But, yeah, 20 to 40 minute playing time. Really interesting theme. As you said, pedigree from the designers. I'll, I'll definitely have a look at this one. I, I like going to the cinema, so, yeah. You two have lost me. <laughs> what is this? What is this? Beastie Bar's not amazing. It's good. It's great. It's good. It's funny. You play cards. You know. You block each other. It's not amazing. Showtime is like the kid version of that, where it's been no. like. I just this one was what I started reading. I thought you lost the plot. I thought you were pissed. I was like, what's going on with this? Uh I, when this wins a spiel to Jaris, you'll be eating your hat. <laughs> yeah, because only good games win that. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, yeah. D- didn't the wine get nominated? Okay. <laughs> Did, they, they've missed. They've missed a trick though. They, they, it was formerly called fi- Film Ab. I think they should have stuck with that. What, what a terribly great name. <laughs> yeah. I think, 
I think he's got a lot of potential. This could be really, it could be bad as well, but it's got a lot of potential and it's an interesting game and not the same as all the others. It's not Azul with two different tiles in it. It's that really sounds different. amazing! <laughs> uh, if, we, if you two decide to play this game, I shall go to the actual cinema and watch a film, which I think will be a hundred times more entertaining. You're a curmudgeon, aren't you? Right. Time for this one. Okay, so that's my number three, Showtime. Okay, so the next two are going to be quite quick, because my number three appears later on Ronan's list. Ooh. And my number three appears later in Sean's list. Ooh. So it's my go again. It's your go <laughs> <laughs> I get to talk, which is the best bit. Well, there you go. That's how we arranged it. Orbis the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I noticed you haven't doubled up with any of my ones. I, I think that's a bit rude. My number two now is Railroad Inc. This is by Haljamar Hack and Lorenzo Silva. Published by Horrible Games. One to six players, 20 to 30 minutes. This one's been out for a while. It seems I see this everywhere on the board game media and, and, uh, and kind of social media and stuff. But it looks like a really nice roll-and-write little puzzle game. Everyone's acting simultaneously in order to build railroads and, and try and link one side of the board to another with, with railroads and things like that. And the way you do that is by rolling some dice, little pictures on the dice, and you have to fit that picture into one of your squares. Again, like many roll-and-write games, it's simultaneous goes, so there's no, there's no kind of waiting for your turn, which I very like because I'm incredibly impatient. It's relatively cheap. The roll and write phase is going to end soon. You know, there's only so much people can take. But not but soon think... enough, Dan. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But I think this one looks like it's going to be a, a solid game. Uh, and I think all the feedback everyone else is giving um, kind of confirms that. So I think it's going to be all right. I'm not a big fan of uh, roll and write games. Also, interesting marketing decision to have two separate versions, both with different elements added into yeah. to them. Interesting. Uh, I love that. A bit cynical, really. I love that the paper and pen is a mechanism in uh, <laughs> in board game <laughs> geek. But yeah, I don't think this one's for me, Dan. I think we're going to have to part ways here. Oh no. It, it was nice. Putting up the Brotherhood. It was nice one. Putting up the Brotherhood. <laughs> Two games. Um, I hate roll and write games, but there's a problem with this one in particular in that the buzz for it is getting me actually hopeful that it's not going to enjoy it because enough people whose opinion I respect, clearly Bye-bye. excluding Dan, <laughs> can you get in ahead of me? You didn't know what I was going to say. <laughs> that enough people are saying that they're really enjoying it and having looked through it, maybe there's more than the usual just hit and hope that I usually get enrolled and right because I just choose anything at the beginning and go, I don't know because I don't know what else is going to come up so I really have no plan here. But in, in Railroad Inc, maybe that's been mitigated. The only problem I've got with it is you've got to draw two different types of connection in those squares and that might be beyond my drawing skills I'm not sure I'm actually able to play it (laughs) fair enough fair enough well that's my number two anyway Railroad Inc you got me excited for a roll and write game Dan this this could be dangerous (laughs) you're you're in trouble when that's poor anyway My number two was Ronan's number three, and it's Forum Trojanum from Stronghold Games and Hook, designed by the evergreen Steffenfeld. And the story here is the Emperor Trajan wants the most glorious monument built to demonstrate his success. The players are going to be governors of a colonia, and they're going to need to develop their own colonia, as well as supporting the Emperor with his monument. 
The main mechanism for the actions is that the player gets to take two tiles from a 6x6 grid on their player boards, pass one and keep one. These are various resources and abilities, and you're going to be able to build on the empty spaces. You get to place citizens and earn points for pattern building on your board. Why do I like it? It's Feld, obviously. I like Feld, and I really do find that action selection mechanism really interesting and I think it looks a little bit deeper than some of his other stuff possibly. Uh, Roland it was your number three what did you like about it? I like that as I was reading it it was completely nonsensical a complete hodgepodge <laughs> of different mechanisms and there's lots of things that said oh you can't do that because of this and you can't do that before that happens and my brain was going what? None of this makes any sense and in any other designer that would have been a sin, but Zeffenfeld turns it into a virtue and I go, great, he's made something completely difficult to play for no reason with a whole bunch of arbitrary rules. Sounds like I'm going to love it. So that's why it's my number two, because it, it made my head spin. It's another Zeffenfeld game, isn't it, basically? It's one in a long line of things that's never really particularly inspired me, but I'm, I've always quite enjoyed playing. I'm sure it'd be fine, but for me it's going to be fine. He's never, he's never better Castles of Burgundy. Uh, in my opinion, I'm sure it's great. Damned my face! <laughs> <laughs> you found praise in there, did you? <laughs> he he probably has never bettered Castles of Burgundy. In fairness, but that's a fair old shtick to, to beat. Oh, him yeah, with. you can't. Yeah, blame him for that. I suppose never 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 beat his masterpiece. No, no, that's fair enough. But it it just feels like it's a, a diminishing returns with Stefan Feld for me. You're getting jaded, Dan. I am. This is like this is the key. It's like the uh, red flag for when people are getting jaded. I've done another stuff and felt. Oh no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over and get like a really cool Indonesian game. <laughs> the other one by him this year is meant to be very good. The Cape Diem. That's Matthew Jude's favourite game at the yeah, moment. Yeah, apart, so, apart from so. the maybe the design qualities as we as we saw for yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it never bothered me with um, Castle of Burgundy. Yeah, true, true. But Dave Loser's review is still worth a well, still worth a watch when he starts losing the plot. When he actually loses his temper <laughs> over the bread tokens. These are not bread tokens. Okay, mate. He hops it off right. the table. <laughs> the international bread token standard has been violated somewhere. <laughs> okay. I've not seen it. Not seen it. Uh, you should. It's, it's quite funny for all the but wrong reasons. Okay, number two for me <laughs> is Neom, and this was Sean's number three, six. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's a tile-laying game set in the future in which each player is building up a city by drafting in tiles and there's lots, lots of spatial planning going on. There's different areas like residential, commercial, industrial, public or resources and they're all going to help you out in different ways. At the beginning of the game, one of the catches is that you draft three cornerstones and the cornerstones you've drafted are going to set for you what your own victory point path is, which is something that's very much hooked me in. You're going to need to produce uh, resources on the industrial and your resource tiles and pay those in other to uh, to build up your commercial, industrial, and residential. You also can pay others for resources they've got in their area. So there is some interest, again, in what other people are doing around you. You optionally can face some certain issues like flood or fire or a crime spree. And like your commercial tiles are going to earn you money in order to buy more tiles. And really, it's your residential public that's going to score you the points towards the end of having certain neighbourhoods and for having them not too close to pollution. And all the while, there's a road network that you must connect up so you can't just rotate these tiles whichever way you want. So you're going to have to plan ahead. Seems like a deeper drafting and tile laying games because you get those two mechanisms quite often but they're often linked to something that's a bit lighter on 
The theme I like with the building up the city, I think the mechanisms suit the genre, as in your, that spatial planning and having to work out what goes where suits the city building. The only thing I could think of that was similar to it was Infinite City, which is a good game, but not great. But I still have some affection for it just because I like the theme. So I've got higher hopes for that. I didn't notice this when I was doing my passes of the yes and releases. And the reason is, is because now you may need to block your ears, everybody, but the cover is exceptionally bad. Um, <laughs> But but obviously because you forced me to re- research it for for this podcast, I think this looks really good. I think it looks really good, I, I, and I'm in. I'm in, Ronan. I think, it, I think you're not in, a, Ronan. Can we just clarify? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It might be. There's, a, there's a lot of you to be in. Okay, I will search myself for Dan after this. <laughs> So, so it, it looks really good. I'm, I'm very, very interested in this one. I wonder if this is going to be a sleeper hit. It looks really interesting. It's from Lookout, so I presume it will get, you know, lots of people just throw their eyes over it because it's from Lookout. I think, but because it looks so different to their other games, they haven't gone for a Clemens Franz, a dude hugging two goats on the front that, yeah. you know, that maybe it might go over it for that. But yeah, I, I'm buzzing, don't, I think. Don't, I think don't Sean a, actually drew my attention to it, by the way. Don't knock a dude hugging two goats. It's just, it's just, Are we going to talk about your other podcast now? <laughs> Goat tugging, by sure. <laughs> so, yeah, it was my number six. The drafting was obviously going to appeal. It is quite abstract, but I still do like the artwork on the actual tiles. And what my initial reads up about this, people were starting to liken it to things like Seven Wonders, Carcassonne and SimCity, all things that I really like. See, now, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. It was in development for a long time, like years and years and years. Is that a good or a bad thing? I don't know. So, it could be. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those. They could have ironed out all the problems, or maybe there were a lot of problems. So, who knows? But definitely one to check out. Marvellous. That's my number two. It's Neom. My number one is Blue Lagoon by uh, Rainer Knizia. Uh, Blue Orange is a publisher, two to four players, 30 to 45 minutes. So this is a Rainer Knizia game, who's obviously a very famous game designer, which has some misses, but also some very, very, really good games as well. I'm getting more and more into Rainer Knizia over time. I don't know why. He's, he's really kind of speaking to me at the moment. It's an abstract game where you're putting out villagers on a series of islands in order to score points. By all accounts, it's quite a vicious, mean game, although it doesn't appear that on the surface. Again, this is one that's been out for a while in American things and getting a lot of relatively good buzz. Looks like it's very easy to teach, which means I'm very likely to play it. Um, all these complex Euros type thing often sit on my shelf because I just can't face reading the rule books well enough in order to teach it. Looks like it's got good production values. Blue Orange are always good. Sort of reminds me of Kingdom Builder, which is a game I really like. Um, and again, the viciousness really appeals to me. So, so I've got high hopes for this one. Well, we have actually played this one, Dan. We've uh, oh right, okay. Kind of managed to secure a, uh, a pre-production copy, or actually, I think it was full production, wasn't it? But it just hadn't been released yet. And full production, yeah. Down in uh, Thirsty Meeples when we, when we met up, and I absolutely loved it. I tried to get into the list, but Ronan was being a misery. And he, he refused, so I was delighted to see it on your <laughs> list, Dan. Well, the thing is, we've got is that Dan's recording this with us. Uh, he hasn't heard the episode that's been recorded but hasn't come out yet in which we reviewed Blue Lagoon. Ah. <laughs> so, I'm still excited about it. Yeah, of course, but this is also the second of three episodes in a row in which we talk about Blue Lagoon. Good, it's a great <laughs> game. I apologise. And then we played it at Tabletop Gaming Live with Ellie and Rachel and then so we recorded their thoughts on it for the next episode that's going to come out. This is why I'm lost in the timeline, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, he's a fantastic choice, Dan. Fantastic game. Really simple to play. Can be really nasty. And definitely a return to form, for me anyway, for Mr. Knizia. I think it's uh, going to put the name back on the, the map, if it, if it had ever disappeared. Well, he's, he's definitely come back on the map quite significantly recently with High Society and, and the New Modern Art and all that kind of stuff. It feels like people are talking about him not with that kind of, oh, he used to be good type um, mm. attitude. He's still good. He's still got it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking for. I'm really looking forward to this one. And, and you've you've buoyed my interest. So what I'm most looking forward to is seeing if he gets uh, stopped from entering the Essen halls by security again. <laughs> it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, me and Ellie, I think, tell the story somewhere on the podcast. We were, we were waiting to get in. There's one, I don't know, like a bit early because we've got a media pass or something. And Ryder Kinnitsi walked up and the security guard stopped him. And he literally had this second of, of you know, lack of control. He just looked down at himself and put his arms to the side like... Uh, I'm running against you. Yeah. <laughs> it was only for about one second he went, what? And then he kind of went, uh, okay. And he spoke to the geezer and he still didn't let him in. So me and Ellie are standing there next to Ryder Kitsu and can't get into the Essenals. That <laughs> <laughs> was pretty funny. When you slapped anyway, him on the back of the head, really that was good. a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tweak his bow tie? <laughs> <laughs> no. God, you know what I mean? He's the doctor. What's wrong with you? I just giggled to myself. I've been on a flight with Rona Knizia, coming home from Essen. That was my claim to fame. That's, did they let him on the plane? <laughs> it would have been funny if they didn't, but yes. Or was he in the wheel arch? Okay. <laughs> Hanging on. This is going somewhere else. Number yeah, one, yeah. Sean. Number one, it is Scorpius Freighter from AEG, designed by Matthew Dunstan and David Short. And players are... Bold freighter captains working against the corrupt government of the Scorpius system. Did you say bold or bald? Is this why you two like this? Well, a little bit of column oh, A. What are you saying about me? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, so you are bald, bold freighter captains working <laughs> against the corrupt government. And what you're going to do is you're going to do things like recruit crew, you're going to customise your ships, you're going to smuggle goods, and in the game you have some card drafting, some worker placement, and a variable player powers. Now, I chose this as my number one base purely on the things that I'd read about it. I've since seen it, and I, I, it would have gone down the list a little bit based on, on the looks, but definitely something I'm interested in is uh, putting my own team together in a game creating my own ship that sounds really cool that i really respect the design team that's involved like the theme and yeah i'm not so sure about the artwork itself is fine but the actual design looks a bit Dull. Are you mitigating your own number one? Yeah, you saying I'm this is mitigate. number one, but it's not I that think great. It, it would have come in in the in the mid top ten. It's still top ten choice, and I'm I'll, I'll leave it here because that's, that's where it is. But since I've seen the artwork, I think we should just start all over again, guys. Okay, yeah, right, fair enough. Right, sure. Let's go again. It's only been seven days of my life you've wasted here. But <laughs> <laughs> right, you got to choose a new number one now. Go. <laughs> a new number one, obviously, is Forum Trajanum because that was my number two. Oh, that's a really boring answer. I was trying to set you up for something funny. <laughs> right, anyway. <laughs> yes, uh, what, I, I can only repeat what you say. The whole personalising what you're doing and recruiting your own crew and choosing what you do for yourself all sounds good. The slightest concerns about the layout, both in terms of components and also in the rule book, in that do things look clear enough as to what I'm trying to do? So it's one of those that, again, I'm going to have to open the box, get it out and, and muddle through a little bit, I think. There's enough going on 
that one cog out of place might might you know, screw up the whole mechanism. But if they have worked it all together, and we know Matthew Dunstan, and he's a good game designer, so I've got some faith in him, this could be really good. It, it does look interesting. It's Firefly, isn't it? It's Firefly, the non-licensed game, or even Han Solo, the non-licensed game. Yeah. I think it looks it looks really interesting. But yes, it's a suck it for, and see for me. It looks too complex to be able to make a judgment here. So, yeah. Sean didn't really like it, and we're completely not sure about it, and that's Sean. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, so do, Sean's I definitely one, like it. No, that's, that's, that's a mistruth. I still really like it. It's firmly in my top ten. I'm really excited about it. Just turned off a little bit by the, the graphical design choices. You needed to sound more excited about it. Let me down the garden path. Oh, mate, putting my own team together and building your own ship, I love that in games. So that's the bit I'm really excited about. If there's a game around that, and also you've got worker placement, love it, card drafting, love it, variable player powers, love it. So lots and lots of things there that I really I only like. had to abuse you for five minutes for you to actually sound like you liked your own game. Shut up, or I'll abuse you. <laughs> <laughs> right, my number one was Sean's number... Three. Three, and it's Newton. Designed by Nestore Mangioni and Simone Luciani, coming from Cranio Creations and also been picked up by Simon Limited. It is the middle of the 17th century, and we are all budding master scientists. And we're going to be travelling around Europe in order to make money, to study, to gain knowledge, to train our students, and to further science in general. And we're going to be doing this by building up a bit of deck building for of a deck and playing those cards and combo building and over six rounds you can be taking basic actions in order to travel and study and do whatever but the more you play off an action on a turn the more powerful that version of the action becomes there are also special actions you can boost the cards come with two halves to them with a basic action and something else on top and there's a a restricted drafting building deck building mechanism whereby you can only take a couple of cards each turn really but you're very much looking to link them into what else within your deck to get your powers going you're looking to be the first to be able to claim certain bonuses from the board and to build up this bookshelf of knowledge which is going to be the heart of, of your scoring of victory points so it's a tight deck builder which very much is into a thinky euro sort of area it's a 90 minute game I love that it looks like it's got that sort of Euro control in the deck builder in that I am very much the master of my own destiny here. I'm controlling what I've got available to me and it's mostly my decisions that are going to affect how I go through. The map brings in that sort of interaction. When we reviewed out to Plano last episode, we were saying the lack of map and the lack of, lack of interaction really was a negative for that game. And I feel like in Newton, there's not too much going on the board, but enough there that we're looking at each other going, oh, oh you're trying to get to general first. Well, I'm trying to get there first as well. So, so we are a little bit looking at what each other are doing. It looks fast-paced in play, but thinky. So I'm very excited for Newton. This looks really good, actually. This does look really good. It's another very heavy Euro. Well, not very heavy. Heavy, heavy-ish Euro. So it's one I'd, I can never really judge but from the way you're describing it, from what I've seen on, on you know, what's available, I, I think this, this could be a really, really solid pick. It's been picked up by two different publishers, which to my mind is always a good sign because it means that two different development teams have decided that they feel it's going to do well. Yeah. Good pick, Ronan. Thanks, Dan. You complete yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Your number one is my number three, so obviously it's very high on my list. Does that mean actually. you don't like it very much? And I, know, yeah, like, really I, I actually don't like the look of it. It looks terrible. But... There's so many different things going on. Obviously, a strong, strong publishing house, strong design team. Uh, the action card me- mechanism sounds really interesting. Lots of different things to try. I've seen, actually, Tom Vassell's review 
of it now and now that we're recording this a few days later of it and he really liked it as well so yeah i'm really excited about it run that's weird something in your top 10 you're actually excited about okay (laughs) so that was my number one newton thank you very much for joining us in our countdown and we'll see you in our outro in two secs So there we have it. Finally got through that big old list and all that's left is to say thank you very much to Dan. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. And to Ronan. Yes, thank you for having me as well, Sean. And thank you, Dan, for being, being just being a beautiful soul to be around. I, that's the second time this week I've been called a beautiful soul. I don't know if they're referring to fish or... Uh, only know. twice is what I've got to say. Only twice. <laughs> It was a beautiful soul or bug-eyed flounder. Okay. It's really a flip of a coin <laughs> on which one I was going for. <laughs> Thank you, Dan, for being a bug-eyed flounder. No worries, no worries. Any time. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I am very excited for Essen now. And Sean, our treasure hunts are going to kick in. We've got one more episode before they start in which we talk about a few games we play at Tabletop Gaming Life, myself, Rachel, and Eleanor. And then we've got a flood, a flood of treasure hunts coming. And I would, I would love to really recommend people listen to those treasure hunts because they are the best thing about Essen, in my view, is, is pouring through those treasure hunts. Um, it, makes my, it makes my year. It makes my year, you guys. I've said it many times, so I'm not, I'm not you know, blowing smoke up your ass. I'm, I'm, this fantastic. Fantastic job you do it's on It's not those. much of a life you lead, no, is it? No then? pressure. No pressure. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thank you, Sean. Yeah. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, we will see you again with uh, Ronan's views on Tabletop Live and then for our Essen shows. And in the meantime, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, we're on Podbeans, iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. We also have our YouTube channel. Go there for our pit stop videos and convention coverage. We're on social media. We have a Facebook page, a Twitter page, and an Instagram page. And, of course, we have our Board Game Geek Guild. Pop along there if you wish to chat to us. The other way to contact us is, indeed, our email address, which is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Music. tradition.